Welcome back to We Want More Superman, the podcast where we discuss the we decide story, novel, novel. Story, the 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 string of fictitious words. Yes, written by Alexander Wales about Superman and our our heroic underdog Lex Luthor and the real hero <laughs> of the story, Willie Calhoun, just doing his best to make the world a better place. He's just a man trying to get by. <laughs> just just, you know, a guy trying to scrounge by a living, you know. <laughs> so we we did chapters seven and eight this week. Uh, let's see, choices and peeling back the veil. The veil. So, what's going on? How'd you feel, Brian? My notes for this one. Uh, so, so we were again lazy, and I had put my notes together earlier, uh, which was unusually not lazy for me. But then we decided to put off actually recording till now. So my my notes are now notes from the Brian of five days ago, and my first notes for this chapter were shit's dark, yo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. It reminded me a little of the um, the uh, Draco Malfoy as rapist moments in HPMO. Where you're like, oh, this is fucked up, right? This is yeah, not, this, this is not this PG thirteen. We just dropped our PG thirteen rating. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, you know, like I, I mentioned at the end of the last episode, like you know, th- this is one where like I would give a content warning for it. Like, I, I mean, I think look, there's a the notes in the book. I think have a trigger warning in it i think don't they i think they do. um maybe i think they do i don't know if they do on fan fiction I, no, they must, or no actually i think uh i think i listened i did also listen to the, this one on the audio audiobook too audiobook um, had to do i think a, yeah i think you warning, yeah. put, a, put a warning in it it's funny like once knowing there's a warning that you sort of like insight into the, the cultural context that we're in i'm like you know a trigger warning means it's going to be something sex about it too of course like, it's just gory violence you'd be like eh I, honestly, that's kind of like where, you know, to soapbox for a second, that's kind of where I'd want the line to be, you know, like, I don't like, there are like aspects of like whatever body horror or you know, fucking spiders that I don't like. Right. But if I saw a trigger warning at the top of a chapter saying warning, this contains spiders, I'd be kind of annoyed. Like I, I can handle spiders. Um, even if I'm not a big fan. Right. Yeah, And but, I guess there's, yeah. And there's a difference between like trigger warning versus just like, Ooh, adult content or whatever. Cause I guess I would right. be like, if it was just like a raunchy, perverted sex scene or something i'd be like I, yeah, you know that's fine it may not be my we didn't get a content warning for uh, my thing but we didn't get a, a content warning for henry kramer's you know sex fantasy with the lady bomber <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah um <laughs> yeah so yeah yep but no, i thought these uh, were good these were uh yeah these were good chapters awesome and we got, yeah and then yeah then we get the new stuff smallville becomes a bigger thing and yeah, I'm like, it's all been an interesting ride so far. I'm liking it. That was almost wordplay. Smallville becomes a bigger thing. Ah. Uh, Smallville becomes Pigville. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, that's it. That's it for our show. That was my highlight of the joke. You. I'm going to call it here. All right. Let's, let's, let's dive right in, shall we? How does chapter seven open yes. up? Yes. Uh, so it starts with sort of the, uh, it's kind of like a, almost a classic uh, TV or movie kind of montage thing about it's more like background in the, in the world going on that, uh, the legal system is not as um, cut and dry as Superman would like it to be. Um, there's he's like there's uh, Supreme Court rulings coming out that are basically saying you know Superman's X-ray vision does qualify as a search and seizure, and so cannot be an unreasonable search and seizure. Um, and so he's just sort of like we kind of run up into the the G whiz morality of superman uh not working out in the real world and it's sort of like frustrating and puzzling to him um but also being 
in sticking with his uh, Wonder Bread character. He's also, you know, he's going to abide by all the rulings because I think he says later, if we don't have the rule of law, we don't have anything. Um, but yeah, but it's kind of just more of a an insight into the kind of very black and white way that uh, that Superman thinks, which is interesting because we we kind of get both. We'll get both. I guess it's more like it's not so much his black and white thinking, it's his desire to be able to think in black and white and him continually, you know, butting up against how that doesn't work. Um, but he still like holds out and it's, I guess it doesn't feel to me like it's being presented as idealism in a good way. It's more like, you know, look at this kind of like naive outlook and how that's like not very constructive. I think um, it shows. Like, I think the word naive is perfect, right? Like, and Lois calls him out on that, calls out Superman. It's like, look, if you showed up 150 years ago or hundred years ago, because this took place in 1930, there'd be slaves coming in on those docks. Would you have just stood there? And he doesn't really have a good answer for that, right? Yeah. Like, so- On the it, other it, hand, though, like he was, as they were walking through that little like art exhibit, he was pointing out, he's like, oh, like he was mentioning all of the things that got whitewashed. Um, I think his naivety so like, is, is, is fall, folding back, yeah, right? Folding back, yeah. Yeah. And that was the, the quote I pulled as they were- um, as she's she's talking to him about like you know what what should so it's, it's Lois and Clark talking um, and so it's Lois talking to Clark um, you know considering Superman as this other person and like what should Superman do or shouldn't do um, and she's like pointing out like you know just morally complicated things that don't have an easy answer and and it does it did seem to me like like Clark's aware of those things and we do get to see him sort of in describing you know fictitiously describing Superman as this other person and, and fictitiously, fictitiously pretending like he doesn't know the inner workings of that decision-making process. But he does at least like show us like he's thinking about those things and it's not that he's like ignorant or like fully like naive about them. Um, Cause what, but we also, so the quote I pulled was, you know, after like them talking through that, um, he just says, I don't know, said Clark, the world is complicated. And then he says, but <laughs> I'd really rather not talk about this. Um, so it's like, we get to see like, he's, he, he, really doesn't like the discomfort that it causes, but it's also not like he's, he's aware that like his, the way he wants to look at things doesn't work. Um, and he really doesn't like it. Um, whereas like Lois is kind of a little more like hardened to like, you know, the world is gray and, you know, hard decisions have to get made. Uh, and Clark's like aware of that, but not happy about it. I think he's finally coming up with the, with the reality that like, when he's just like, I don't know, it's complicated. I don't want to talk about it. I think he's finally coming up of like, man, I, you know, I thought doing the right thing would be straightforward and easy. And so like, you know, the, the unambiguous good part, you know, like, Hey, this guy's trying to, to rape, you know, to, to rob this person. Um, it, the unambiguous good stop him. Right. No problem. Um, but then like, she asks him like, well, why doesn't he stop abortion doctors? And he's just like, well, I don't know. It's complicated. And she's like, well, he is the word unambiguous good, right? Well, yeah. But then that means that Superman doesn't think stopping them is an unambiguous good. And he's just like, fuck, I don't know, man. Leave me alone. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, and that totally does work. And it, and it did. It kept making me think like to some extent like, okay, yeah, maybe Lois has a more realistic outlook on things. But for Lois, it's just kind of a, you know, cocktail party, you know, ethical mental exercise um, where yes, she's aware that these are real things happening, but they're not real things that really happen to her. So it is just more of this like, you know, random political discussion with people that you don't aren't immediately invested in. But for Superman, it's like that no, that's real. Like whatever decision he makes around that little quandary that she's 
you know, putting together is, you know, his actual decision he's got to make and the actual consequences that he has to live with. And so kind of did, I was also able to appreciate it from like, you know, that's easy for you to say from over there. Um, and no, I don't think I'm doing it right, but like cut me some slack. Like the answers aren't easy. Right. And then we get yeah. much more up close for it when we get to see him in a little bit, like he's just kind of cracking, he's losing it. Um, like that all feels very under, it's not like, like, oh, this is a crazy person losing it. It's like, oh no, this is just a regular person having to deal with way more than a regular person ought to have to deal with. Yeah. I like that a lot. This is, it's, it's unfolding really well for that. Yeah. Um, there was the bit where, uh, oh yeah, no, I guess we talked about the bit where, um, he's, she's asking about, you know, kind of like these, these gray areas and he's just frustrated with it. Um, and then like, he's, I don't know, whatever being depressed because the, not just the thing with Calhoun, but all the, the Supreme court stuff, which means that there's going to be hundreds of appeals and they'll probably all, you know, be successful because look, Superman looked through my window to watch me, you know, beating up my wife. And that's, or he, he mm-hmm. looked through the walls to watch me beating up my wife. That's, that's unreasonable. You know, that, that should be admissible. Um, like all those horrible things. And he's like, well, then what the fuck, you know, it, can I even do? And I think, didn't he write up a thing about how Superman is like basically powerless in, this, in the face of organized crime? Uh, Did he write that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was him. Clark wrote up an article about Superman was nearly useless in the face of organized crime with the laws the, the way they currently were. Yeah. Yeah. So then she tries to cheer him up and she's like, hey, let's go on a not date and we can go look at the art exhibit that uh, everyone's favorite person, Lex Luthor, is putting together. Yeah, I like this. The I like this part of this chapter because it was sort of like we still get the like Lois doesn't really like him, um, and she definitely like isn't gonna like fall into the like oh I'm Superman's girlfriend role. Superman, uh, you're so dreamy. I know, right? Um, but like this was at least like she's almost like taking pity on him, not quite in as condescending a way, but she's just sort of like she feels bad for him, like she can, like she sees that he's all you know bummed out and i guess we like we're aware of that like oh this is superman that's bummed out but she's just sort of like she sees that like clark is really down and just sort of like you know i don't want this guy to be miserable so she's just sort of like genuinely just trying to do stuff just to cheer the guy up um yeah and it's, it's fun because like it it's it's true for both clark and superman that like they're just this small town person that like oh wait when i get to the world at this scale things are complicated and, and not easy and so for clark it's just like you know, you, you just matched him as, again, this little, you know, homegrown guy from middle of nowhere, Kansas and moves to New York. And it's like, oh, my God, things are huge and scary here. And it's basically the same thing for Superman. Right. And so yeah, she, I like she just sees like, this, this guy like, being worn down by the city. And she's like, you know, let's let's go hang out. You don't drink. So we're not going to do that. Let's go. Let's go look at art. Is that is that kosher enough for you? <laughs> and I like how like both like it's true in both directions that like, so she sees Clark as just this naive small town dude being overwhelmed by the big city. Um, she's like, Oh, he's so, you know, ignorant of the world. And, and, uh, if only he knew better. And, but from our points like, Oh, and she doesn't know she's talking to Superman. And if only she knew better. Um, right. And then what's fun too, is like, if only, and Superman is coming to, is coming to know better, but he also like, doesn't yet or didn't yeah. yet. Right now. I think he's getting it. Like the fact that the, you know, the Supreme court of the country is telling him like, yeah, sorry, Superman, you're breaking the law. Um, he's like, okay, well that's annoying. And before I forget, there was that nice, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was, uh, that like, just imagining like how would Lois, what Lois say differ or just how would 
she'd think differently about the things she was saying to Clark if she knew she was saying them to Superman. Because she's just sort of saying to Clark, like, oh, this guy, Superman, who's sort of like, at that point, kind of more of an abstract concept, like, ought to be doing this, that, and the other because of my careful analysis of the ethical, you know, facets to this decision. Um, But if she knew that, like, she's talking to the guy having to walk through that decision in, you know, real life, that she would probably think about what she's saying differently. I don't even know that necessarily she would you know, had a different opinion, but just like that would be a different conversation in her head if she knew she was having it with the person she was talking about. Yeah, which is fun because like, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that she would be like duplicitous with Superman or with, you know, her random coworker about her opinions. But when she's talking to Superman about like the you know hypothetical with the slaves, or if she was going to ask him directly about uh, stopping abortions, she might just be slightly like less blunt about it. Yeah. Cause she's not going to, you know, when, when you're debating it with a coworker and it's like, you know, this is just fun water cooler talk. Right. But if you're talking with the God man himself, you're going to be like, you know, people are wondering why aren't you stopping abortion doctors or something? Right. Like you're, you're not going to, you're not going to try and get them with a gotcha the same way it is fun to get like a friend with a gotcha like that. Right. Yeah. And you're just going to like more like whatever, if whatever you're saying is, you know, critical of that person, you're going to like take a little more time to think about whether you really feel that way or like, what are the reasons you feel that way? You just kind of be more careful about it. And it would kind of at least call it wouldn't necessarily, you know, change like the sort of her general opinion on it, but it, it, it would definitely like make you more motivated to think about things a little more nuanced, especially just the thing about like, cause I, she's definitely not at all considering like, uh, this must be very hard for an actual person going through it at the time to actually have to, you know, come to a decision and take an action based on that decision. Yeah. She doesn't get there until he shows up to talk to her again on the roof. Yeah. yeah. And then, then she's like, Oh, okay. This is a, a guy with a struggling psychology. Um, and, but that's fun. We'll get there. There's the part when they're going through the art exhibit and Clark is trying to be as bummer as possible talking about, yep, right here in the timeline, this is where there should have been people in collars and there's still mass graves everywhere. And she's like, Jesus, you really know how to show a girl a good time. And then he's just like, you think Superman should have killed Calhoun? And she's like, God, no. Can you imagine the panic? And he's like, you know, people wouldn't have to know. He could have just uh, thrown him in the ocean, you know, whatever. And she's like, no, Superman's too nice for that. And everyone knows. And Clark is just like, you're right. They take him for granted. The whole world or the whole trial with Calhoun proved that. No one feared what Superman would do when the verdict came down. They didn't think it was suicidal to challenge Superman's will. And they were right. Like, I liked how the, there was like that sort of like low tech, like that was like if his low tech way to like get rid of a body is just, you know, f- fly a few up miles out to the ocean and dump, and dump it in. That's like, <laughs> that's the Occam's razor way of disposing of, of a body. It's, you know, foolproof and simple and works every time. Um I think it was sort of like, oh yeah, if you were really going to think about those things, that's what you would come up with. Which is no, well, if, you, if you really think about those things, what you'd come up with was done that way. <laughs> I was going to say, if you really think about those things, what you'd come up with is you'd throw them into the sun. Sun. Now that's the thing. You don't. You don't got to overthink it. No, you're not. It's, it's, it's Superman. It'd be hard for hard enough Kerbal, Kerbal Space Program. You'll know that throwing things into the sun is actually really, really hard. If you're if you're you or me, if you're Superman, it's just as easy as pointing yourself that way, right? No, it's it's easier to like throw them in Alpha Centauri than throw them into the sun. Really, yeah, uh, I guess it's the uh, you're having to undo. It's it's less less delta v to get out of the solar system than to come to a complete stop because to get into the sun you just have to come to a complete stop and we're going really damn fast. Well, but the sun's pulling them in. I figure you just throw if you threw somebody fast enough in the direction of the sun, they would just get there. Uh, see, you, see, Kerbal Space Program is really damn fun. You should play it. No, you actually have to throw them uh, in uh, just basically the opposite direction of the uh, of the orbit of the Earth. If you throw them at the sun, you'll slick. 
uh, gravity slingshot out. Okay. Well, you know, that would still be good enough to dispose of an average corpse. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you're just trying to get rid of it, it's easier just to throw it away. from That's true. Throwing it towards because we're already going really fast. But yeah, I, I liked the, you know, because we know it's Superman and she doesn't, but like the his his phrasing on both of those lines um, was, well, let me find it again. It was, uh, no one feared what Superman might do or would do when the verdict came down. They didn't think it was suicidal to challenge Superman's will. Like that's some heavy shit. Yeah, and like I mean, th- like it's one thing to say the f- the first one is kind of you know semi innocuous. Like, yeah, they they didn't you know think about what Superman would do if they told him you know sorry you're doing the wrong thing. But then to say they didn't think it was suicidal to challenge Superman's will, and it's like oh damn. And that's what and I, then that's what he, said he walks it back. Dumbledore. What was that? That's what Quarrel said about Dumbledore. Yeah, like, basically right. Afraid of Dumbledore. But w- but w- the the key difference is the last line, and he says, "And they were right. It's not suicidal to challenge Superman's will because <laughs> Superman's a good guy." <laughs> and then she's like, "Hey, you know what? You're bumming me out. Let's talk Smallville." And uh, yeah, I like that. And like, she explicitly did it. Like, her only motivation for that was just that, like, she saw that he was all bummed out and wanted to try to cheer him up. Like, she wasn't actually interested in Smallville. <laughs> she just right. she was like, "Oh, this dude needs to be cheered up." My grandma is essentially from Smallville. She's from a small town called Beaver City, Kansas. And I think it's still like about 0.9 miles by 0.9 miles. Um, like, I mean, she was born in the same house as all her sisters. And I mean, she's 86. Electricity was around, but she didn't have electricity in her house till she was in her teens. Um, like, because, you know, she grew up two decades behind everybody else, I guess, in the middle of nowhere. Uh and as, as you might imagine, stories about Beaver City are about like stories from Smallville. They're like remarkably quaint. Uh, <laughs> like they, you know, they mentioned in this uh, when uh, Jimmy meets with that, that uh, I forget her name, the PI. And she's like, oh yeah, there's a communal telephone on this floor. I can give you the number. They had a communal phone in like the, like around all the houses in my grandma's little town. <laughs> and I guess the way these worked, someone called the phone and said, hey, can you go knock on the door of this person? I want to talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. So just whoever happened to be near the phone got to answer it. I think like a long time, like used to be like, oh, the neighbor had a phone and some people would call the neighbor and have them like, go get the other person. My great grandmother uh, was born, well, she like, I can't remember, it was like either in Nebraska and then Kansas or vice versa, but walked, uh, walked from Kansas to Seattle in Whoa. like 1890s. Uh, technically, I, I mean, she did walk on the Oregon Trail, but that was sort of like after it was, I mean, the Oregon Trail was decades before that when it was really the Oregon trail, but I guess walked there, walked back. And that's what I have lost in my head. Like it was either Kansas to Seattle, Seattle to Nebraska or vice versa, Nebraska, Seattle, Seattle to Kansas. But yeah. you know, either way, I'm giving her all the street cred for surviving the Oregon trail. Yeah. The, the covered, no dysentery. Yeah. So that's it was like, there, it was literally, oh yeah. My mom still, my, we have this like fancy old like chair that apparently that thing went across the covered trail in a, and a covered in the Oregon Trail in a covered wagon, but like the, the covered wagon is for all your shit, and then everybody else has to walk. <laughs> God, that's wild. Now there's some like civil war. There's some civil war cemetery that was donated by her father to the town, and so I guess that's like my great great grandfather owned the farm that's now a civil war cemetery out in. I can't remember that. So I think that one's Nebraska, but but yeah, that's where my people are from. Hardcore man, my people are mutts. We're from all over, oh, yeah. but from mutts around there. Right on. All right, where were we? Uh, oh, so Superman's all cheered up slash Clark. 
things are things are working working well, and then everything falls apart two weeks later when the governor's children were kidnapped. And then it gets dark. Then it gets bad. Um, we get a little uh, cutaway we cut, to Lex. We, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we cut over to Lex, um, and it's just sort of like a m- little more insight into the levels of paranoia he's at. Like he will not say the name Clark Kent um, for fear that it will cause the cocktail party effect on Clark. Um, and he's sort of like going through, he's trying to figure out, he's like, okay, cause I guess this is kind of among our first, like kind of sitting through his thought process now that he knows, um, that Clark is Superman. So he's, he's just trying to think through, he's like, okay, I really need to know everything I can find out about Clark Kent. Um, but that's going to be hard to do and have it not look suspicious. Um, especially, and especially because you think, because I have publicly expressed such a large amount of interest in Superman that anything I do is going to automatically be colored about it having something to do with Superman. I like, I like the throwaway line where he's like, if I, if I'd remained an anonymous billionaire, just buying the daily planet wouldn't have been, you know, too attention, attention grabbing. Maybe that's why Jeff Bezos brought, bought the Washington post. Right. Maybe Superman works for fingers crossed. We could use a Superman. That would make Bezos. So who does that make Trump? He's not Lex Luthor. He's not smart enough. Trump is Willie Calhoun, but incompetent as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Trump. Trump is Willie Calhoun, but he doesn't actually do anything. He just like the. Then we get a cut to Willie, and it says Willie Calhoun was losing. That's the Trump version. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. And so yeah, like before that, uh, like the segue over to that is that Lex is like hearing about. Um, like sort of grapevine level of hearing about um, Calhoun's like he doesn't know it's Calhoun but he can tell that like Calhoun is, is starting to try to like poke the bear with Superman um, I think oh yeah it says before Calhoun or someone else made Superman angry but he, I think he does know it's Calhoun he says he would have killed him if he could, if he thought he could have gotten yeah, away yeah, with it yeah because it's like look man like, like quit trying knows, to piss yeah. this guy off what are you insane yeah it's more, but it's not like he like explicitly knows like, okay, this thing was done by Calhoun. He's just like, okay, I can see this like trend of shit going on, trying to fuck with Superman. And that must be Calhoun. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. We also get back to like, it's this kind of weird, like schizophrenia with Lex about him. Um, like he'll, you know, tisk tisk at, you know, other people's immorality and like, you know, Calhoun killing people and whatever. Uh, but like he has, but you know, but, you know, or I could, you know, just kill Calhoun. It's sort of like once he's sort of justified in his own mind the necessity of anything he will he can do, like he doesn't at all question it. And so yeah, then he's he, like totally fine with like, you know, just offing people for the greater good. I think he's a good example of what you were worried about, like if Harry got his way, like to become God. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, look, if you don't if you don't have any checks on your ethics or your reasoning, you end up it's like less out. Yeah. And that said, self-doubt. you know killing people's wrong but provoking superman into a rage is is worse so like if you could kill calhoun to stop that like the reasoning is is solid if if you know not necessarily iron solid but you know it makes sense and so yeah like, it's solid from that you can weird, follow like, it yeah it's solid from that weird like you know mental exercise space of where you discount the the likelihood that you know you're taking into account like 10 different factors and there's a good chance that you're wrong about a number of them like so all of it, it's like you know you because we put together these little like little mental exercises if you know if pre- presented with this particular situation that sort of illustrates the ethical question you're trying to get at and then you forget you know like doing that often enough makes you forget that in the real world you're never actually faced with any of those scenarios it's always like much murkier gray things and so he's decided like oh this is 
because, okay, so, you know, Superman's definitely this existential threat to humanity and therefore I must kill him. Uh, like there's no kind of, you know, uh, qualifying that or, you know, hedging your bet on it. He's just kind of goes all in. Um, and really the, the only, his only hesitancy around any decisions are around like the practicalities of getting away with it or like in the execution. He's, he never really has any doubt about the correctness of the overall decision. What's interesting about that is, I guess there's two things. Yeah. One, killing Calhoun is an easy trolley problem, but like trolley problems aren't real world. Yeah. And so like, but the other thing is like throughout this, and I guess, you know, we don't have, he hasn't had a lot to update on. If anything, Lex has more reason to be concerned now than he did starting out, but like he never revisits the idea so far of like, is this a good idea? Should I be trying to stop Superman? Like, yeah, I think, I think he's still, I think he's just hell bent at this point on having a way to stop him. And then maybe at that point he'll think, okay, cool. I got the magic gun. Do I use it? Um, so, I, but I think, I think getting the magic gun, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't really know. Yeah. But he, uh, he's, he's not at all like in any uh, level of doubt ab- about how much bad shit is it okay to do in order to get there. Yeah. So, although I guess, cause it was for a little bit like the, the nightmare shit that we're about to come up to. Um, I didn't immediately, I think I was just more caught up in just reading it before without thinking through like um, where it was coming from. But I think in my head I was, there was a possibility that it was Luthor that was, that was doing this. Um, and that didn't seem terribly out of character. It would have had to be for some kind of cold calculated reason that he decided it needed to, you know, be theatrically evil. Um, whereas if it's Calhoun, I just think like Calhoun was just, you know, doing it because he's a monster, but um, but like, yeah, Calhoun was just trying of, to be out of character Superman. actually. And now that I'm saying this, I don't, do we know that Calhoun did this? Like, I'm wondering, like, maybe it was Luthor that did this. Is that still on the table? I think it was Willie. Um, his little interlude here, I think, sets it up to be him. Yeah, I know. But well, like, that's like, I know we know he could and wanted to, and I'm still thinking, like, probably, but have, have we seen anything? I'm, st- I'm probably still too much in, like, Harry Potter land where everything's a deception, but like, <laughs> have we, have we, I can't remember now. Have we gotten anything explicitly that we know it was Calhoun, or could, is it still possibly? Lex. Um, in the next chapter, when Superman is talking with the governor, uh, he says that the people named Willie Calhoun. Is oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But that doesn't mean anything if you're going to go Back, fully yeah, mad eye moody on it, right? So, uh, like, I think that what you have to ask is, like, what would Lex have to gain by doing this? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, oh, you don't know. But, like, you could see that, like, you, it wouldn't be out of character for him to have decided that, oh, I need to do something that completely pushes Superman over the edge for some other reason but like if he decided that this was necessary he he would do something theatrically evil not out of not not out of some sort of sincere sadism but because he felt like he needed to project sadism yeah like blowing up a bunch of bombs across the city yeah exactly yeah i mean i think i think if if lex sought to gain if he had anything to gain from this he would have done it in a hot second yeah um, I do like the little Calhoun thing where he's just sitting in his office and he's just like, fuck Superman. And like, <laughs> he's, just, he's hoping that he can hear him. And I like the line where he says, um, if people stop believing in Superman, maybe he'd finally fuck off and fly away. <laughs> yeah. I think it's very like, it's not that like Calhoun doesn't come across as stupid, but he's definitely very like lowbrow compared to Lex. Right. And so then the setup that it's probably him was all the worst psychopaths in Metropolis had left Willie's had been left in Willie's employ and it was time to use them. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then we get the cut to the, the governor's kids being taken. They've been gone for five days. And which, I mean, and I'm not sure, maybe it was a lead-lined cabin or something, but 
I mean, five days when Superman is looking for you sounds kind of like, yeah. And it's like, and you know, if we're worried about like, don't say the name Clark Kent, you'd think, especially like once Superman's like, Oh, I got to find these kids. Like he's going to hear kids crying. I guess maybe they didn't, you know, I think, uh, I forget the daughter's name. Uh, June was, you know, gagged and the other one was, didn't have a lot of opportunity to yell, I guess. Um, so I mean, but I'm just thinking like they're 40 miles out of town. He didn't check everywhere in 20 seconds. Um, in any case, you know, I guess the town's big too. He probably could, looked everywhere in the city first. So. But I could totally see like those are all the things that Clark is running through his head to beat up on himself about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, then five days later, Lois gets a note on her desk saying, Hey, soups, come up to the roof, love Superman. And, um, he's just, I, I like this. It, it starts with a different tone. He just says, hello, Lois. And he doesn't like turn to look at her. He's just staring over the city with his cape billowing out behind him. And she's like, yo, soups, what brings you to my neck of the woods? I found the governor's children and he didn't turn around to face her. Are they all right? No. No. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then, then it gets dark. And I get, we don't, I don't, we don't dwell on it too long, but he just goes through the explanation of all the stuff that happened that they, uh, they dismembered the, the boy very early on. And then they just been spending days and days with the girl tied up being raped over and over again. Um, and it yeah. did, did a good job where like, he doesn't like pull the punches or anything, he doesn't get like all, you know, graphically explicit and weird about describing it. And we don't like dwell on it too long, but he doesn't like try to get euphemistic about any of it. We, we don't, we don't center the camera on it for 30 seconds, but nor do we shy away from it. Yeah. 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 And then like, I mean, and it, I think it even says like his voice was cracking and his, uh, I think it, even his eyes were, I think he's crying at some point. Maybe I can't remember. I'll look, but, um, there was the thing too, where he kept clenching and unclenching his fists. Yeah. Like, I wonder how much power was there when his knuckles went white. And then, um, and she's like, Oh like, yeah, you could turn cold the diamonds with that. Right. So then, then he's like, yeah, I got June to the hospital. She would just beat against my chest and yelled the whole way either. Cause she didn't recognize me. Cause she's just broken or she did. And she blamed me for not getting there fast enough. And it says he swallowed hard. And then I went back for the men. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to, I like that description as like, cause I didn't believe it all. It's not like she was, you know, beating on him mad that he didn't rescue her. Like that was his, like just flagellating himself about it. Um, but then it also felt like believable that she's just like freaking out and losing it and just like scared of everything at that point. Um, so that was like a really powerful description. Yeah. I can see it either way, but no doubt he's going to take it the hard way on himself. Right. Like I think he's beating himself up over this pretty hard. Um, so what was I going to say? Oh yeah. Um, then he, he, his line, then I went back for the men and she's just like speechless. And do you know what I did to them? And she takes kind of a step back. What did you do? And he's just like, I arrested them. What? <laughs> she's like, he, it would have been so easy to kill them. No one's seen the upper limits of my strength. You, you listened to this audiobook chapter, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And it, it, it read like, like he wasn't like, and I arrested them. He wasn't like saying that as like an example of like his moral rectitude. It was like his frustrations, like, and all he fucking did was arrest them. He was like mad at himself about it. Yeah, exactly. He's like pissed off at his like obligation to do the right thing when he just wanted to actually even his description, like, Oh, I could have put them in the, I can't, I didn't pull that quote, but like, Oh, I could have put them in the darkest dungeon or something, something. I'm like, that's like too, that was even that was like a wonder bread version of like vengeance. I mean, they, they deserve to be chained up in the like, deepest, oh, darkest cell I can make for them and slowly starve to death. That's not super wonder bread. It's not super wonder bread. You know, but we're more at the like, and then I made them like, watch me rip their arms off. Right. That's kind of, that, that's more the, the scale we ought to be at. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I, I the, the voice acting on this was spot on. And I'm going to pat myself on the back. I was the one who put Inyash in touch with Nathan Bowman to do the voice for Superman because he sounds just like Superman in my head. So um, there, then he, I like this little thing too. He's he's like, I could have just snapped my fingers and he snaps his fingers and there's a thunder clap. And he's like, I, like I, that. I, dead. I listened to the audiobook on that. That was a good one. It was a good one, yeah. It, was a, it wasn't a small thunderclap in the audiobook. No. It was a thunderclap. And then, then he has his kind of breakdown. He's just like, I can't keep doing this. He finally turned around. She could see tears in his eyes. I can't keep pretending that I'm someone I'm not. Some paragon of truth and justice. I'm just, he started to say something. And then he's like, I'm just an alien from the planet Krypton. I'm not perfect. And you pulled out the rest of that quote. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not perfect. Uh, no one is asking you to be, said Lois, but she knew that wasn't true. Millions of people were clamoring for Superman to be a million different things. They assumed he was perfect. They just thought he was perfect in the wrong way. They just want you to try your best. My best? I can hear everything going on in the world right now, said Superman. No one thinks about what that means. He pointed to the north. Just there, six miles away, a house is on fire. The family is evacuated, but their possessions are burning. A little girl is crying because she left her doll behind, and I can see it melting. She's calling out for me to do something. Over there, two miles down the road, a man just punched his wife in the mouth. And shouldn't I be going to stop him from doing it again? He pointed east. There was a flash flood in China a handful of minutes ago. I can hear three women choking to death. If I left now, I might be able to save them. He pointed to the south. There was a car accident near Atlanta eight seconds ago. When the windshield shattered, it sliced a man across his neck. If I left now, I might be able to get him to the hospital before he bleeds out. He shook his head, but I'm not doing anything to help anyone. I'm standing here on this rooftop talking to you. And that was like a great description because you get to just see like, the, and that's, that's his all the time. Um, I know, constantly right? Like stuck in having to make those hard decisions every single minute. And so it has like, at least for me, like my, my impression from that is, uh, and so yes, any like criticisms, criticisms of the decisions he makes, like while still valid are like, but you try doing that. Um, well, and this is where we get just more of the, the spelled out thing that I'm liking more and more is like, we get less of Superman being a God pretending to be a man and him being a man pretending to be a God. Yeah. Like, you know, if you, if you look at it from what we know, just this being some guy from Kansas with superpowers, then it's like, you know, so from Lex's perspective, when he's thinking about this later, he's like, yep, him being Clark Kent causes, you know, or he pays one death a minute or one death an hour to be Clark Kent on average. And, uh, like, holy shit, he must not care about people at all. But for the rest of us, it's like, you know, you and me could be doing a lot more to make the world a better place, but we can't burn ourselves out. You know, and this, this is a problem with people who try to do this. They, they go gung ho, you know, 16 hours a day and then eventually burn out really soon. And they could do more good stretch out over their life if they had just, you know, taken it eight hours a day and, and been more reasonable about it. But the, the, the guilt motivation keeps them trying to burn the candle at both ends for this. And Superman, like, I, you get the impression that he's like, you know, he, he's not, he's not pretending to be Clark Kent because he loves being, being Clark Kent. He's pretending to be Superman because he feels like he has to, because he has the power to do stuff. Yeah. And that was kind of the way that, that Lex frames it. I don't know if that's coming over. He already got to that part or, or what, that's what he's about to get to. But yeah, Lex is like, Oh, Superman's not a, um, you know, Clark is not a fiction put on by Superman, but like, no, the real person is Clark and Superman's the character. Um, Maybe I can't remember if Lex puts it quite that way or not. Cause I think he's still unsure about like, where did Clark Kent come from and all that. But yeah, I guess. Oh yeah. Well, it was at least in the sense of that, like uh, he's like, Oh, th- there is a real Clark Kent. That's like a full, that's not some just fictitious person that Superman pretends to be every once in a while. It's like, no, there's a full Clark Kent person 
Right. Um, with like, oh, a real history that that's not just like the history of like Clark Kent is not fictitious. Like there really was a Clark Kent in Smallville. And, um, so he's like, oh no, he's not. So he's not pretending to be Clark Kent when he's in his Clark Kent mode. Like that's his authentic, that's the authentic person he is. Yeah. And like, I think that's, that's the difference that like, um, you know, so like Lex thinks about it and he's like, he understood less of the alien psychology than he thought he must really not care about human life. And it's like, no man, he cares. He just like, his psychology is a lot like ours where you can't do it all the time. Like, yes, he doesn't get physically tired, but he gets psychologically tired. And like, you you know, you, you get, you get worn out and need time for yourself. And so if you're, if you're Lex Luthor analyzing this from your armchair, you're like, this guy's a fucking monster for not doing this 24 seven. But when you're actually Superman, you know, constantly pulling people out of fires and shit and, you know, seeing and hearing everything terrible that's happening. You're just like, God, I could use a vacation. Yeah. And I got the, like my, my impression of Lex's thoughts were like, this was a seeing like, so Lex has an understanding of the, like, Oh, this is like, you know, Clark Kent's not, not a fiction, uh, but he still doesn't get like his thing about like, Oh, you know, playing Clark Kent is costing four people their lives every day. Um, like he, he doesn't get that. He doesn't understand, like, he's just like doing that math in his head and can't understand why, you know, an ethical person wouldn't, you know, do what he thinks ought to be done. Like he doesn't, he's not able to like put his head in the space of like, Oh, this is just a person trying to, you know, deal with it. Um, like he thinks that everybody should just be able to like make all the decisions from this like cold, you know, rational spot of, um, you know, this like super dispassionate, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. And it's easy to do that from your armchair. And that's, that's what I like about it. And then the thing is too, Lex doesn't flip it around and say, man, I'm sure glad that Clark Kent spends 20 hours a day being Superman because he saves a lot of lives. Right. Like if he was, if he was Clark Kent all the time, Clark Kent might occasionally stop a car crash if he could get away with it without giving up his identity or something. But instead, no, he puts on a cape and he flies around the planet saving, I don't know, hundreds of lives a week. Um, It's, so he d- he doesn't flip it around the other way and say I'm sure glad he's doing this much. Uh, it's kind of like um, <laughs> like uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his wife made a 75 million dollar donation to a hospital I think a month or two ago, mm-hmm. and it is the single biggest donation to a hospital ever made. And I it think took that literally hours to make that much money. It, maybe maybe you know half a day right. And so, but that's the thing is people, that, that was the response. And so there was a, a vote of whatever board, like, do we name a wing after him? And they're like, no, because he only gave 75 million of his billions. And it's like, it was still the biggest donation ever made. Like, don't get me wrong. I get where people's frustration with billionaires comes from, but it's like, you can't deny that he gave $75 million to you guys. That's huge. Yes, he like could have done more. Yes, it's pennies to him, but that that is an enormous benefit. And like even like the more mature approach to that is like what Bill Gates does, which and I'm um, not the, the guy, especially from like the bit of insight I know from knowing people uh, from Microsoft, um, having sort of worked for them a little bit many years ago. But um, like the, the dude's got problems, uh, and there's a weird cult of personality around him. But but like at during you know he he did have. Uh, a long run as the richest man on the planet for a while. And like when he's then presented with that and trying to decide, you know, what to do once he figured out that like he won the game and he could just move on from that game of, you know, go make money. Um, he just decided, you know, 
accurately saying, you know what, I'm good at running shit and I have a whole bunch of money. Uh, what needs to be done? He's like, oh, look, people dying all over the world. I can do something about that. And he did it. And so it was even more than just this like, oh, how much money do I donate towards shit? Which is kind of just a very, you know, simplistic way to look at it. He's like, no, I've got resources and I'm good at directing those resources and I can like solve problems and help people. And he's like really doing that. And so like in my head, like, you know, that will... Uh, you saved enough lives that it kind of makes up for any like weird anti-competitive practices you did with Internet Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of agree, and like you know, that's the thing is you know, Gates has the capacity to, like you said, also be good at running shit. Gates is much more like Lex Luthor when he's not being a psychopath than uh, than Mark Zuckerberg is. But I'm just thinking, like you know, if if all Zuckerberg did was give a billion dollars to you know curing malaria, and he didn't like do any coordination or effort beyond that, and he wrote a check for 1% of his net worth towards it. Like I would still think, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. He's done, he's done more good to, to stop one of the leading causes of death on the planet than I will do in my lifetime. Yeah. And like, yes, it was trivially easy for him, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't amazingly good. So I, I bring all this up because that's basically what Superman does, right? Like Superman could do a ton more, but the fact that he's doing this, like, I don't, I don't like it's, it's so easy for us to say, well, he should be doing more. It's easy for us to shit on him because he could do more. But it's like he doesn't have to do anything. Yeah, and we get like a really we get to see like really up close like how crazy making it would be to be in that position of knowing that like oh you know somebody's dying because I decided to take a coffee break. That's uh, what he blames himself for over this too. Yeah, yeah, he's and like, you have to like, and that I mean, yeah, you can sort of logically know that you know oh I can only do this so much, but um, but in every single one of those moments, you are like hyper aware of oh I'm taking some me time right now and. Um, and that me time has, you know, my body count associated with it. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the downside of growing up as Superman and not having the benefit of growing up reading Spider-Man comics because, <laughs> you know, Spider-Man has to face this, this dilemma of with great power comes great responsibility. And yet Spider-Man goes to school, he hangs out with his friends and he does all that stuff. Right. And like, that's those, those hours that he's sitting in class are also measured in deaths, but it's like, I need to do this because I'm a person. And well, that, uh, and Superman's, yeah, and like Superman's like in the weird position of being specifically aware of every single instance. Right. Spider-Man just sees it on the news. It's like an abstract later. concept. Yeah, it's, a, it's like an abstract. And yes, while still equally true, he doesn't have to like, you know, hear the scream. Yeah, geez. That's that's a huge point. There was the, the line where he's like, do you know why I wanted to kill those men? Oh, no, sorry. It's worth leading up to it. Uh, Lois says, it's not selfish to take time for yourself. If that's what keeps you sane, there's no shame in it. Or there's no shame in stopping to take a breath. And he's like, of course there is. Do you know why I wanted to kill those men? It's not just because of what they'd done. It's because I didn't do enough. I was busy taking time for myself. Those men were monsters, but I'm more of a monster for not doing more. I'm a fraud. Oh, you're a monster. Yes, sir, I am. And then you grab the quote where he says, he was silent for a long moment, staring out into space while he listened to people die. That's great. I think that's the best line in that story so far. Yeah, it's it stands out. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I, I guess I should be going because the guilt, you know, he, he's sitting there having a cry about how, and I, I'm not saying that pejorative or derivatively, but, or not pejorative. I'm not saying that, uh, derisively. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, you know, he's, he's, he's having a moment to emote about it and he's like, okay, I, you know, I suck. I'm the worst. I'm not doing enough. I better go out and try not to suck as hard. And he just goes off to try and save four people. And I like like the the really good thing about this whole chapter was like so Lois validly takes away from this like oh fuck this guy's cracking and 
that's Superman cracking. This could get really fucked up. So like, that's all true and like insightful of Lois to like see the, she's like on the same page as Lex and understanding like the gravity of that. Uh, but that also like, we don't, it's not, and I think maybe she does phrase it a little bit like, oh, he's cracking, like, like he's a crazy person or whatever. But like, we get to see he's not, the way he's cracking here is not because he's a crazy person. He's cracking because this is more than anybody should be expected to have to deal with. Um, and, and, and also like, and that's like where I think the graphicness and just the, like the level of evil in this, this chapter is like totally justified in that, like it, that works. Like we first communicate like just the level of, of just ugliness that he has to face. And then we get to see like the very understandable level of like, you know, no normal psyche can, can be like so grounded to be able to deal with that constructively. So he's cracking the way a, like any person would crack. Um, Cause just what he's dealing with is just not, realistic for anybody to be able to handle. Um, and I so think that's, we haven't, we haven't turned, he's not a monster here. He's just, you know, human. He's a guy. Yeah. 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 That's the thing is, you know, from the outside, we look at this and we're like, of course, you know, our God and savior Superman can do, can do anything and can survive any, any trial, including psychological trials, because we assume that, you know, his, his psychology is, is as robust as his whatever body. Right. Yeah. But it's like, no, he, he's got basically a human capacity for like suffering and effort and even then he's still doing all this stuff like of course he's gonna start to get strained right yeah i kind of like to like his sort of decision almost almost kind of not a decision but just sort of like the default position he drops into is like he does the just sort of like pretend to be wonder bread and have all of his shit together and be making all the right decisions like that's the public persona he puts forward and we didn't ever really get a you know, get to see played out like, oh, that's the right decision to make. It's a totally understandable thing. It's just kind of, it's the same way that like, we just all pretend not to be falling apart. Like, you know, we all just like go through life pretending like we got all our shit together just because that's kind of just how we're conditioned to act. And because it would be weird if you're constantly oversharing with strangers. Um, but like, like that's kind of really, at least my impression of it is like, that's kind of the only reason he's acting that way is just because, well, that's kind of what anybody would do. And it's maybe not a great idea, but uh, but that's just, that's what like the quote normal way to go about that would be. He's, you know, he just finds himself in this you know position of power and everybody kind of looking up to him and that he would just kind of like play along with the role because that's just kind of the default thing that anybody would do. And you're kind of like thinking about, is that really the best way to do it? Um, and you, you know, you don't know, I'm, I'm just kind of like thinking through like, what if he became this like you know, squishy kumbaya Superman talking about like the hardship it is for him to see all these people suffering. And like, I, you know, that probably doesn't work out great either. Um, but I sort of like it, like, at least to me, it doesn't feel like that. This was like this, you know, thought out considered decision about how he should, what kind of, you know, persona he should project to the world. It's just kind of like what he fell into. Yeah. And he's and got problems. <laughs> totally. It reminds me of, um, uh, I think it's called the Copenhagen interpretation of ethics where like, uh, and in fact, this is a good, good analogy, you know, like with, uh, if, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, if he had donated say $50 million to the against malaria foundation, people would be like, well, why didn't he do more? But people don't ask that if he gives $0 to the against malaria foundation, yeah. because by interacting with the problem at all, now it's suddenly on him to solve it or like to do as much as he possibly can. And so, you know, if Superman had done anything, people wouldn't have been trying to put the whole world on his shoulders, but he had, he had stood up and said, all right, yeah, I'll do stuff. And then people are like, Oh, can you do everything? And he's like, can I just do some stuff? No. Cause then you're a bad person. Yeah. yeah. All right. So 
I think that's all I had for that section. We, yeah, and we just sort of end the chapter with, it's kind of just a segue into the next chapter of, as Lex is thinking about all those things, um, he's sort of like criticizing Superman that he's like, um, that's when we get to see him make the decision that he's going to hire a private investigator to spy on, um, spy on Clark. Right. Yeah. And so and then I guess we learn here too, that Clark showed up in at the daily planet three months before Superman. So he had been, you know, Clark Kent here for three months before he started flying around saving people. And, Oh, and he'd been Clark Kent for how old is he? Like 30, right. 20s, you know, for many, many years, not being Superman, but just like, you know, maybe, maybe there's less violent crime to listen to. Well, I guess he can hear the whole world, but, yeah. you know, it's not next to you in Smallville, Kansas, but then you come to New York and you're listening to all this, or Metropolis or whatever. That's the thing, though. Like, he's hearing, like, stuff off in China. That means he's, like, growing up in Smallville. Not, I mean, yeah, he's only interacting in Smallville, but he's hearing an entire world full of that's true, yeah. bad shit happening all the time. I wonder what that was like. Yeah. But then Lex is just thinking, uh, like, oh, three months, he must be a complete psychopathic monster if uh, he can sit around at his desk for three months and not do Superman stuff. So he still doesn't know the full backstory, but I liked how last chapter I asked you what you'd do if you were Lex and had all the resources and you were like, Oh, I'd try and bribe Jimmy Olsen. And Lex does a more, he basically had the same idea, just a little more subterfuge. And he just hires a, a redheaded PI to probe him on Clark Kent and redheads are also your kryptonites. So <laughs> did, I, did I already overshare that? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I like in redheads are like thoroughly overrepresented in all comic books. Maybe it stands out good on the page. If you judge by comic, if you judge by by comic books, like like roughly, you know, one in four people have red hair. Maybe just because it looks good on paper. Maybe because every comic book writer also likes red hair. Yeah, I think that's also something we said for that. Anyway, so we don't get the details and exactly how he learns it, but just that a PI had said, or that a PI reported back that um, Jimmy Olsen was all too ready to spill the beans on Clark Kent. He'd been obliging enough to provide a location: Smallville, Kansas. And I guess he's he's got his oh no yeah he's just thought about Smallville at this point he hasn't done anything else yet so um, that is yeah actually the, yeah yeah because uh, yeah, we open with like before we get to that it's we get to we don't get any description it kind of all happens off screen but like Jimmy and Lois went to um, the scene of the crime to photograph it all which is weird because it's not like they're not gonna put any of those pictures in and I get. Oh yeah, he does describe it like, oh, the pool of blood is like more disturbing than if you, you know, actually showed showed the body. So I guess yeah, like it's some like dramatic, like the newspaper can have just some dramatic picture of a pool of blood. Yeah, and it's more sinister than that. Like at least the way I pictured it, he says. Jimmy says uh, to Jimmy, it was almost worse to catch a glimpse. He was sure that he'd be a better photographer if he could understand why the small puddle of blood on the edge of the kitchen table was somehow worse than directly seeing the dismembered corpse and. Uh, you know, without trying to paint the picture too vividly in my head, I can imagine where that small pool of blood on the kitchen table came from and not the, you know, it's, it is uh, different yeah. and worse than seeing the dismembered corpse. Thanks for making me overthink that. Yeah. Sorry. But <laughs> they, so that's the thing is like, that's the kind of picture that like, yep, this doesn't violate any of the whatever FCC laws, but we can put in the newspaper and it's horrifying. Um, so, uh, Anyway, yeah, what's Jimmy doing? He's doing what the rest of us would be doing in the situation, sitting at a bar getting shit house <laughs> because he he's – Yeah, because fuck, fuck this day, trying, right? Trying to bleach his brain. I liked how – so Lois and him go out to uh, the farmhouse and she makes some calls to figure out exactly where to go. And 
then when they get there, the cops are like, oh, no, sorry, it's a crime scene. And I liked his line about how Lois had uh, loudly insisted that, super, that to the police that Superman had sent him, or Superman himself had sent them to get pictures. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, this isn't Lois's character at all, but I just picture her carrying her way into the into the farmhouse. Be like, no, Superman told me I could come here. You go ask your manager. <laughs> <laughs> and making sure to say it loudly enough that everybody can overhear it. Right. Lois had loudly insisted the police, not had insisted, loudly insisted, but she's also under stress. You know, this is, I'm not, I'm not shitting on her. I just think it's a, it's a line that was a nice bit of levity in my mind to the rest of the section here. But then, you know, another nice piece of levity that takes, distracts you is this cute redhead in a willowy dress. And she says, hi, I'm Eleanor. And I know. I like the description. There's lots of like very obvious, like kept describing like, oh, she touched him on the shoulder, touched his hand. Like, so we get to see like, oh, she's very obviously just trying to, you know, manipulate him. Uh, right. But I like that. It's like, and so she kind of gets all the information that she thinks she's going to get and she's, you know, starting to walk away. But then um, as he's just sort of like blearily like, aren't you going to hang out with me? She kind of like just feels sorry for him. Um, and so she just like then, like the impression you get is that like, okay, yeah, you know what? I could clock out now. I got what I needed, but you know, this guy seems really miserable. So she just kind of feels sorry for him and hangs out with him, um, which I guess gets him a pity fuck. I don't know if they, I, I think it didn't describe that they didn't. They say, well, yeah, yeah. He, he spent the, she spent the night or was he at her place? He was at her place. I think that it, it said that he fell asleep while he was crying on her lap and she stroked uh, his hair. I, I didn't get the, uh, I, the impression that. that they, that they banged. Um, but in any case, I, the other thing too, about like the, the pity bit, like there's the, you know, the pity, whatever I'm being, I, I guess I'm trying to find the other word for that. Cause I got the impression it was more genuine. Like, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It was, um, no, yeah, it was, and it sort of like made her not as this like just kind of manipulative, whatever. Like she still was going to do what she was hired to do, but like she didn't. She just like sincerely felt bad for the guy, and just you know, yeah, that her only reason for hanging out with him was like, oh, this guy seems miserable. Um, yeah, and it was like so. It was less of like a. Um, I mean, I guess yeah, pity is involved, but maybe, maybe more just compassion. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's also. Uh, like, I mean, so yeah, the, what happens briefly is she shows up and she's like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, what do you do? And, oh, I take, I work for the Daily Planet. Oh, no way. I had no idea. But, you know, <laughs> um, you work with Clark Kent and Lois Lane, right? And, well, sure. Yeah. And, oh, you know, tell me about Clark Kent. I, I'm curious. And, and I, know, I like, like the, the way she was asking was so like, like way too like obvious, but then you're like, oh, wait, but he's just like shitty drunk. So like, this, and yet, you know, with it. Yeah, I mean, she's going to get away with it, but you'd think, again, uh, cocktail party, you know, she just keeps throwing out the name Clark Kent, and it's kind of mm-hmm. totally non sequiturs. Um, oh, tell me about him. What's he look like? Oh, he know. looks like he's a big guy, like a hunched where over gorilla. Yeah. Oh, what's where, his mother's maiden name? Yeah, where's he from? Does he have any pets? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know his blood type by chance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, especially because, uh, yeah, Lex was totally, you know, on with that, like, um, if Superman can hear everything, he almost is never going to hear Clark Kent. So yeah, you say that name at all. He's going to hear it. Yeah. And, and you get, I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we don't, we're not told, but you know, there's, there's no way he told her, by the way, Clark Kent and Superman go find out as much as you can. He, she was probably just paid $10,000 to go, uh, you know, Hey, go ask Jimmy Olsen about Clark Kent and be subtle. Yeah. And so then she gets what she can get. And, uh, Oh, he's yeah, he's from Kansas. Oh, really? Yeah, me too. Which part? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a good line. Yeah, which made that slightly less suspicious to say. Oh, which part? Right, it's slightly less suspicious until I'm positive that she's not from Kansas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then he's Smallville. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to roll. <laughs> and then I, I do like this. And this was, I mean, I, I guess I don't quite know what to make of this other than Jimmy is like super real, like a, a hyper realist. Um, he's like, you're not, you're not staying. She's like, eh, you don't seem really interested in talking to me. And plus I feel like you've had too many drinks. And he just says straight up, today's the worst day of my life. Worse so far anyway. There might be days that are worse than this one. I've got a feeling that's the case, <laughs> but I'd need someone to, to, to be by me, please. And like, I just like how he's like, yeah, this is the worst day of my life. You know, there's probably worse days coming. Like, <laughs> let's, we can't, can't, can't say that, that, you know, this is the worst day ever, but. He's the one jinx it, I think. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're just tempting fate. Uh, <laughs> because then reality says, hold my beer. Right. Oh, hold up a minute. Yeah, I can, I can fuck you on this one. Bring a dozen dead kids next time. All right. Um, so then, uh, yeah, so she, she takes pity or compassion on him and they get to talking and then she goes, he goes back to her place and, um, yeah, then it just says that he started, you know, crying and stuff. And then she tells him about her dad and how bad all that went. And, um, it just eventually she fell asleep and he followed suit soon after. Doesn't say, you know, fade to black. They had a great night. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm assuming they just had a night of companionship that they both kind of needed. And, uh, this is kind yeah, of where you... I, like, I liked in the morning when she's like, you know what? I got to go and get to work. Like he asks her what she does. And it's like, I think I, I like this character because like they didn't try like try to, I don't know if we're going to like see this character again, but like they didn't try to just make her some kind of like, you know, like, like but either both like cold and just a two dimensional piece of cardboard that like, when he says like, what do you do? Like she does, she tells him like, Oh, I'm a private investigator. She does not say because she couldn't that like, Oh, I was just, private investigating you but like it was sort of a level of like oh this is you know this is a person that doesn't you know is trying to be a good person yeah it says that she looked at him for a moment before answering i also like this too and i'm not sure why maybe i just like the word he says i never asked you what you do we talked about me too much i feel like a lout i'm like you know i haven't heard the word lout in a long time that's that's (laughs) a good word i guess that's that's 1930s talk for schmuck uh uh yeah yeah am i the asshole am i the lout being a real heel (laughs) um so then uh she gives him the line for the the number on the floor that she lives on and because it's 1930s i love it um and i like this it's just jimmy felt better he felt more peaceful he'd seen the day before he couldn't imagine having spent that night alone um then clark comes back from his mysterious cold oh you you doing okay lois and she's like peachy motherfucker Uh, (laughs) (laughs) was that yeah i don't think i read it remember that exactly yeah, it's implied. <laughs> no one says peachy uh, sincerely. It's always got a, a hidden you piece of shit underneath it. Um, <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, sorry I wasn't here. Um, and then she's trying to like just dismiss. I, I It sounds like borderline just, you know, PTSD coping with it. Oh, it was nothing. I mean, bad shit happens all the time. You know, hundreds of thousands of kids, millions of little girls get raped. Lots of boys get chopped up. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. the world sucks. He's and, just like bitter. Yeah. And then he's trying to probe and Perry told me that Superman talked to you. What did he say? And she's like, that's between me and him. Quit, quit, uh, quit prying. And he's like, you know, if you need to talk, I'm, I, I'm here for you. No offense. It seems like you need someone to talk to. Uh, yeah, I like how it's like, but we just are able to see this as like, he's, he's trying to, you know, figure out what her reaction to what he said was not that, uh, not that he's really trying to like talk to her for the sake of talking to her. He's, he's almost, he like, he wants to like make his case. Um, that and he wants to like backpedal on. I think he knew that he came across as nutty, um, and so he's trying to say like, "Oh no, you know, I just need somebody to talk to, and like, it's all fine now. Don't worry." 
Yeah, I like it a lot. That's what everything I love that Clark is saying is just this multi-level thing. Because you're right, he's like, A, trying to, I think he is trying to see how she's doing because he cares. But then he's also like, just trying to correct the record for Superman. Yeah. You know, if I had to guess, I'm making an educated guess here, but I'm guessing he just needed, you know, he just needed to talk. I'm sure that it was just, he was having a rough day. That, that's that's my guess, even though I wasn't there. I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that. He's yeah. not as he's not as heavy footed with it as that, but that's how it comes across. Um He's just like, oh yeah, you know, I, I think that he, I think he was having a bad day. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take what he was saying to, you know, to heart. I think he, he just needed someone to talk to. Um, I know it is such like a weird, like, how would you know, dude? Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, when I, I when I imagine myself in Superman's shoes, <laughs> <laughs> in Superman's size ten, yeah. So yeah, then you know, uh, he's she says that she didn't really find this comforting though, which I, I imagine he was trying to be comforting. Um, and then she's thinking at the end, uh, you know, he firmly believed in the doctrine of following unambiguous goods. It wasn't true, though. People thought Superman did everything effortlessly. And maybe that was true as far as the physical realm w- went. But inside his head, he, was, he was, it wasn't much more than a man. She'd heard that Superman had, been, had walked into Calhoun's bar and let himself be hit in the face with a gob of spit. I know, this is a good replay of that. Yeah, she'd believed that Superman had been unbothered by that. But now it was clear that Superman was human enough to have felt something there for sure. Superman's ideals weren't innate to him. They took conscious effort on his part. What would happen when Superman had a day so bad he de- decided that his ideals weren't worth keeping? Bump, bump, yeah, it bump. just made you think, like, yeah, it kind of then you replay all the things. You're like, oh, all of the bullshit he has to put up with all the time, and he is just a dude. You're like, oh, he's got to be a lot closer to snapping than anybody knows. Right. So let's see. Um, well, we got to Lex doing math, which is fun. And, and I said, that sounds sarcastic. Maybe it wasn't. I think it like, this is the kind of stuff like from the Martian where he's, you know, mapping oh, like, yeah, measuring water. Yeah. He's figuring, you know, what's the, what's the, the angle of view uh, from, you know, ex- like, Oh, Superman tends to fly at such and such a, an altitude. Then he'd be able to see, you know, this far across the horizon. Blah, and then blah, blah. Through, through X amount of earth's crust because of the, the base amount of lead across it and stuff. You know, there was, there's one thing in his reasoning that jumps out at me every time I, I read it. And he's like, uh, let's see the, the diameter of the earth, roughly 8,000 miles plus Superman's distance from the earth, rarely seen to be more than 10 miles. And I'm like, okay, that, that number jumps out to me. Cause how on earth could you see a human sized speck more than 10 miles above the surface of the planet? Yeah, was, uh, so ten miles. That's fifty, about fifty something thousand feet. So that's still that's higher than the airplanes that didn't exist at the, at the time. I know, right? Like, that's I mean, about, yeah, that's about halfway to space. So, right? So, I mean, no, 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 space is like hundred miles. I think. Uh, I was, yeah, I, I think it's about hundred. You're right. But in any I mean, case, kind of like that, that distinction is kind of arbitrary. But, but like, maybe Superman jumps out because he's he's bright red. But I'm like, if Superman was, you know, frequently fifteen miles above the Earth, you just wouldn't see him. Yeah, you can he's, see him. At all. He's teeny tiny. From that, from that distance. And so like at a lower altitude people would, cause it's not like there's, you know, planes flying by in 1930 something. Um, but what year have we established? Like what exact year it is and all this? So I stopped just like saying mm, some mid thirties, I think. Yeah. 1900 little rascal. Um, but yeah, so like if he's, you know, Superman flying overhead at like 500 feet, people would be like, what the fuck is that? Cause you, you know, that's a whole society full of people not used to seeing things flying through the air. Um, I'm just saying that rarely seen yeah, more than 10 it, miles. I'm like, yeah, he could be up there all past, the time. Yeah. Once he gets past a couple thousand feet, you're not gonna be able to see anything. Totally. 
anyway, so I, you know, I'll take I'll take the rest of his math at his word, but like rarely seem to be be more than ten miles. Oh, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, I've rarely seen above ten. Like, how are you ever going to know? I get you. I get you saying. Like, yeah, he's. And it's he's, like he's like, never been observed to be more uh, than fifty miles above the Earth. And it's like that's because he'd never be observed that high. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, they picked him up on radar. Oh wait. For all we know, he sleeps orbiting the planet with one eye open. Like, anyway, come on, Lex. Not you know, paranoid think, enough. It's probably a very like cozy, comfortable way to sleep. Just like orbiting. Although you get the sun going in and out of your vision all the time. You need uh, sleeping blinds. But other than that, just if vacuum doesn't bother you, that's probably a very cozy way to sleep. I bet. Just yeah. orbiting the Earth. Zero gravity. That does sound relaxing. Although I, I was thinking I'd do that if I was aboard the ISS, but 100%, you'd just bang your head and wake up on stuff all the time. So you well, got to sleep last to your bed. But. I think the thing you got to like, apparently what you have to get used to is that because uh, zero gravity feels like falling. So there's like a extended period of like your stomach settling. Yeah, that sounds rough. All right. 1,127 miles between Smallville, Kansas and Metropolis, New York. And then he does the math about, uh, you know, the amount of lead in the, in the Earth's crust, et cetera. Um, and he says it allowed for a comparatively enormous amount of breathing room. Uh, and then he's, he's, we, we get some background. He dug up some records that showed the Clark Kent at least existed on paper um, that he apparently used to work for their little newspaper. And uh, he needed someone in Smallville. And I like this a lot. Someone intelligent, prone to following orders, trained in espionage and willing to go into deep cover for an extended period of time. Like, he would need he would need to instruct them to take precautions above and beyond what any covert operation had required in the history of spycraft. I love it. It's awesome. Because hey, he's right. Spy, it sounds like it's kind of a kind of a new concept at the, in that uh, era. I, I I imagine there's been spies for as long as there's been people, but yeah, definitely like, like it's pre cold era. Yeah, but I it, when he says you know above what so any like, operation in the history of spycraft, and it's like oh yeah, totally. Like it sounds like a, over the top, but this is an over the top situation. Um, so he's trying to figure out if it'd be possible to get someone into Smallville when the doorbell rings. And I like how it just occurred to me, the doorbell rings. And a few minutes later, Mercy stirred the doorway and said, Miss Lane here to see you. So like, I'm assuming his house is big enough that it takes a few minutes to answer the door and then go to his office. <laughs> well, and she had to do the whole like, oh, I'm here to see Lex Luthor and Mercy. Yeah. Like, Who the fuck are you? And- I just like to imagine that it's like, a, like it's literally like a four minute walk to reach one side of the house from his house to the other. Excellent. Oh yeah, I want to picture like if if uh, if Metropolis is just basically a stand-in for um, for New York. I want maybe he's like a, he's more in like that kind of uh, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, Upper East Side, you know, apartment. Couldn't think of another example, match. huh? Well, no, that kind of like that's the, no, that's like the good example. He's like you know sinister and like hyper powerful and rich and like wanting to live amongst the hoi polloi. Like no, I can't think. Like that's a really good. That's that's the example I'm shooting for. Not just uh, random rich person, but like rich person with sinister agendas. I would rather hang out with Lex Luthor seven days a week than share a table with, with well, Jeffrey yeah, Epstein. Sure. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, Lex Lex is a bad guy, but different kind a bad guy I can at least get along with. Um anyway. Yeah, but 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 your point is taken. Yeah, rich guy living somewhere in town, uh, in his giant estate slash manor slash whatever. Um so yeah, Lois shows up. Although you do kind of want to picture him as like having some estate with like lion statues in the big long driveway with a rod. Oh yeah. I am never not picturing that when I picture his house. So just have like some way to suspend reality to imagine that that exists in Manhattan. He has one mansion in central park. Yeah. He built it there himself or built it there for himself. All right. So we've got, 
you know, if this was 50 years later, it could have been Stark Tower, but no, it's it's his mansion. All right. So Lois shows up. She's like, hey, I'm writing a book. Uh, um, and I, I love this. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you drive from here. Yeah, the this whole scene is like, like, like sort of awkwardly tense and weird because they're having a like it's it's in the back i like we also so we've been inside of lex's head uh in like him being hyper aware of how much superman is able to to hear of what he says and how super carefully is and that we could see like lois is already on board like she figured that out too and, and knows that she has to you know keep everything under wraps so we've got this whole like awkward conversation of them like trying to sound all innocent and plausible in the things that they say out loud while then, you know, they're, they're passing notes to each other and writing things down of, of what they're like actually trying to communicate. So yeah, she comes in there with this like bullshit story about like, Oh, I'm going to write a book about Superman. And because you're um, such a Superman fanboy, I want you to, you know, write a couple chapters about it too. But meanwhile, she, they're like writing notes to each other where she's like, you know, Superman's uh, cracking. I, I didn't pull like the actual, uh, words that she used, but she's basically like, you know, uh, I think why is it Superman's losing faith in humanity? I think she says, but so she's yeah. just kind of communicating to him that like, you know, this dude's going to crack and then like, that's going to be really fucked up if Superman cracks. Um, and so she's what's kind of vague about this whole scene is she's sort of just kind of saying like, Oh, I want your help. But it's kind of like, not it's like, Oh, we're going to join forces in this very vague, like it's narratively satisfying to say, Oh, now they've joined forces, but like to do what, like what, um, there's kind of no direction to it, but, um, well, yeah. and that's, that's the thing is because, you know, no one has any idea what to do. And what I love about this is there's like the three levels of the conversation. Like there's the things they're saying so Superman can listen. And there's the things that she's writing down, which are awesome and we'll, we'll talk about too. But then then there's the level that Lex is thinking is like, is she a spy? Yeah. Like, is she here to get me to say something incriminating so that, you know, Superman can, she can report back or he can listen, listen to it or something, right? Yeah. And so the whole time he has to do this plausible deniability thing a for a with his voice and then B with everything that he communicates to her through writing about like not being able to trust her fully on it. It's awesome. Yeah. And she's, she basically doesn't have to, she's only having to play two levels. He's playing three. Right. It's, it's, it's great. And, and like, she pretty much like, she basically trusts Lex. Like she's not really, not that she's sort of like naively loyal or anything, but she's not terribly concerned about any like ulterior motives. No, she thinks that he's just a Superman scholar with lots of resources. And so, you know, if she can convince him, like, so from her mind, she's just, like you said, she's playing at the two levels of let's not be overheard. But then like just the, her real drive is like, look, if anyone can help us figure out a way to stop Superman, it's the guy who knows the most about him and has the most money, you know, of anybody else on the planet. Um, So she's just like, is there anything that can be done? And he answers her written note, like, is there a way to stop Superman? And he's like, she asks him out loud, what would you do if you had, or, uh, two meetings. yeah. So then, then she asks him out loud, like, what, you know, what would you do if you had Superman's powers? And he's like, ah, you know, common enough question, et cetera. And then he looks at her and looks at the note and says, Superman can't be stopped. And that's, you know, it makes us glad that someone with such a nice moral compass is the one who, who actually has his powers. Um, it's, uh, I, I just, I love this level of, you know, double, yeah. double playing, triple playing. This, this is my uh i i'm sure there's books if anyone could recommend to me a book that's written like with this like that's uh, kind of always has this going on i'd be super into it dinner scene in dune is a lot like this where there's like conversations under the conversation it's like and it's i like that scene because it like sticks out of something that like this is 
a really great scene that can only work in a book because if you tried to put this in a movie, it's just people sitting, having dinner, making small talk at each other. And they kind of did a little bit. They they try in the they did have this scene in the movie, and it was they used a lot of voiceover to try to get it. But like it's like really great. Where it's like it's like uh, it's Paul and his mother like having dinner with these like new ambassadors that they're just meeting, and like the two of them silently figuring out that there's this entire plot working against them, just based on the weird little inferences they make on the things that are said and not said, uh, when there's nothing explicitly said about anything significant at all. But like they come to this very like, and they then are silently aware that they both now figure it out and they've now figured out what the next thing they need to do. And it's just this like sort of, um, and they kind of like are able to play it off that there's something practically, you know, telepathic about it, but it is really cool because like every tiny little subtle thing is like picked up on, um, and so, yeah, it's got that, like, there's multiple layers to the scene going on at the same time. That's kind so of that's fun. Kind of, yeah, I haven't read Dune. I only read it really when the movie comes and out. My, um, my little brother's advice was solid. He says, like, Dune is really good. And do I can't do Messiah's the next year. He's like, each Dune book is almost as good as the one before it. And so you should just read the first one and stop. Hmm. <laughs> and I read, like, the I think I read the first three. I read the second. I can't remember if I read the third one. I'm like, you know what? He's right. I'm just going to stop now. And the second one was good. It's not quite as good. Ah, I'll give it a shot. I, the closest I'm thinking of to a scene like this is basically the entirety of Tana French's The Likeness, which it's a it's a police officer. They they she used to be undercover cop. Now she does whatever murder detective stuff, and uh, they find a body that looks exactly like her. And like she does, she she doesn't have any twins or anything. So like that's kind of just left as a mystery. But then they're like, hey, you know what? Uh, she lived at this house up on this hill with these four people. What if we just told them that you survived whatever mugging or whatever killed this girl and you go in there, pretend to be her and you stay there for weeks. And so it, it, it was a really fun. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, What's it called? Uh, the likeness. The likeness. It's the second in Tana French's uh, series called the Dublin murder squad. Um, and the first one was fun. And like, and I'm, partway through the third one and i kind of just got tuckered out on him but i've got all of them uh they all take place from the perspective of a character that was like a secondary character in the in the book before um and so but i think you can pick them you can pick up any one of them up and just enjoy them on their own so um it's hard for me to say which one i liked more over the likeness versus uh in in the in the woods was the first one um it's it's apples and oranges they're they're very different stories uh, and she, she's got this, this way of, of writing that kind of just keeps me like engaged the whole time. Um, and it's, you know, it's as R rated as you want from a book that's about, uh, you know, murderers and scary stuff like that. So anyway, subterfuge is tight. That's what I'm going for. So, all right. That was my 10 minute way of making that point. So, um, <laughs> she asks, she asks him like to, to get the conversation going and give them an excuse to collaborate in secret, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm writing a book about Superman. And, uh, I was hoping that, you know, since you and I have something of a working relationship that you can contribute. And then she just points at the book again. And it says S is losing faith in us. And what sort of contribution? Well, you're the permanent scholar of him. And one of the greatest examples of his efforts that his symbol actually works. And she points to the notepad again and raises her eyebrows. And Lex is like, this is all Lex could think is that this was a trap. Yeah. <laughs> and I like to like, especially because like, and Lois is aware of like Superman's obsession with her that like, this is definitely a conversation. Like if Lois says the word Superman, then he's listening to the entire thing from then on. 
Right. So, and then, cause they do get a little worried about like, Oh, he, I wonder if he's going to be able to make out that like we're talking, but then like hearing us, you know, uh, writing things down with a pencil and that you'll figure that, that you know, that there's something going on there and they're just kind of like, they're worried about it, but they kind of shrug and be like, well, what else are we going to do? But, but yeah, still, there's always just like, anytime anybody's talking like this, it's just like how weird it is to keep being reminded of like, Oh, he hears everything. The all, like much, the all hearing ears of Superman. And that, that like how that like colors every single conversation you have. Cause you are having it with an audience. Yeah. I like this too, where then she has another note that says S is more human than he lets on might turn on us. Cause she's just doing quick little notes here. And then he's like, all right, you know what? Uh, I'm kind of busy. Let me think about it for five minutes. And um, then he's sitting there thinking about it. And uh, I like this where um, he's like, okay, well, why would she come talk to me? Well, you know, she knows that I'm a, a wealthy person with an active interest in Superman. And uh, <laughs> I like this too. Um, like she was here when I was having the lead installed in the room. So she, she's smart and picked up on that, that he can't see in here, but he could hear. And mm-hmm. I'm probably one of the few people to not let, blurt out a strangled what when shown a secret message. <laughs> and she knew not to be, cause like it does sound suspicious to be writing notes while talking, but she would also know not to like try to write that stuff out in advance um, and bring it in there because then it's a written note that he can read. Exactly. You know, Hey, I'm just taking notes, man. She's got plausible deniability. Um, so then he's like, all right, well, I'm pretty sure she doesn't know who Clark Kent is. Um, and let's see. Where yeah, he was, just sort uh, of bases that on, like, on like the way she reacts to things, the way she's talking about him. It's like, okay, this isn't somebody acting in a way as if she knew, like she's acting like somebody who doesn't know that she works with Superman. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of at what point, maybe it's later when they're collaborating. Oh yeah. When, they, when she comes back the next day. Um, so he's like, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to help. And then she, he comes back the next day and uh, again, he's playing the double meaning game. He's like, I'm not saying I believe you, but if you think Superman is losing faith in us again, he, I think everything he's writing here, he's ready for Superman to read. Yeah. And so like, I'll, I'll read the rest of the, the yeah, thing. So, yeah, just, just because, that's that she's like working on his behalf. Exactly. So he, he can't be like saying, be finally, I've been working against him this whole time. I would love to have a collaborator. Um, by the way, did you know he's Clark Kent? Um, like he can't, he can't do any of that stuff. So everything he's doing is with the level of like, okay, I could play along to a level that I think Superman would agree with if he actually became aware of this. And I'm going to assume that he's aware of it. So he says, I'm not saying I believe you, Miss Lane, but if you think that Superman is losing faith in us, then that's something that needs to be discussed. And I can only hope that if he finds out, he'll understand that that the discussion couldn't happen in front of him, as it were. You have more exposure to the man than anyone on the planet, so far as I know. You're the only one he's really talked to. If you have concerns, I need to hear them, no matter how outlandish. Like, that's the kind of thing that she could run out the door and say, Superman, I got this. And he, like, Superman would be like, yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's all that, plausibly deniable. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and I had this in my notes a little earlier. It kept, because they never, or do they, maybe I missed it, but um, Lois and Lex never say out loud to each other, he's probably listening right now, do they? They don't have to. They don't have to. No, they, no yeah. not to each other, but do they pretend as if they aren't aware that he's probably listening? Because my thought on that was like, that would seem suspicious, especially because probably uh, Clark hears all the time people going, oh my God, Superman's listening, and that it would stick out to him as weird that two clearly intelligent people are acting as if they aren't aware that he can hear them and that that would be suspicious. 
Hmm. I can't tell if they do. Like, are they pretending? Like, my recollection of this is that is that like they both know, but they are both pretending not to be thinking about the fact that that Superman can hear them, which would then look sus. I think that what I, I like the that's the Mad Eye Moody level of analysis that I enjoy <laughs> here. So. I think what they're doing is they're not pretending like Superman can't hear them or like they don't know that they can't that he can't hear them. They're just they're they're saying things that are perfectly fine for Superman to overhear, right? So yeah, they're like yeah. they, they never they never pretend like he can't hear them, but and they never say out loud he can hear us, but they they're just they're they're playing right on that that edge where like if you know, they they Superman's listening. They both know that. And they both know that Superman, they, they both know that Superman knows that, right? And they both know that Superman knows that they know that he can hear them, right? Yeah. And so- it would be, I think like it would it would make the conversation so weird, even if they're like, so if there wasn't this like level of sub, subterfuge around it, but if like we're both sitting there, like knowing that as, you know, you're talking about somebody behind their back, but knowing they're hearing everything you say, like the whole conversation would get weird. And I would just like, you would say something about it. Like at some point you would be like, oh, this is weird. like, I don't know, whenever you said something as he's clearly hearing right now, like, I don't know. They're well, just, that, that's the difference between what they're writing down and what they're saying, right? So like, it says like, oh yeah, you know, there's much to the science of Superman. It's X-ray vision, for example, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I took a, the liberty of typing up a rough draft and, you know, you can take a look. And yeah, he hands her a blank sheet of paper and a pencil, and then and he gives uh, her and he gives her a manuscript that has the fictitious notes that she's pretending to have written already written. I fucking so love like, it. Okay, I've got, yeah, I've got our, our got our cover story taken care of. Walk out with this thing, and that's what we pretend. That's what we will pretend you've been writing this whole time. Um, so now you can write on stuff, and it will sound like this is what you were writing on. Yeah, and I, I guess I forgot why there's a line break here. This little section is from Lois's point of view. So from time to time, she would ask Lex an inane question to keep up appearances, and he would respond with an inane answers. To Superman, it seemed like they're simply working on a book together. She wasn't sure if she could trust Luther, but he was by far the most capable man in the city. And so, like, they're they're you know talking about a book, you know, randomly, so you know, so to speak, right exactly as it would be appropriate for Lois to be investigating Superman because she's nervous about him, and Superman would know that. But like, what can she do? Right? Like, just wait. No, this is too important. So. Uh, she's like, you know, what? let's go, let's go write a book with Super- about Superman, and let's go ask a Superman scholar about it. Plus, I know Lex Luthor. Perfect. All right. This seems, all, if if the if the jury will read back all the evidence, nothing here looks uh, incriminating, right? Um, it, it 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 suggests incrimination, but it's there's nothing here that you know would ever convince a jury. And so, hopefully, Superman will be at least as as reasonable as a jury here and say, oh, okay, maybe they're up to something, but maybe it's just a book. Yeah. So I like how we like they have to treat Superman as I like like Superman's brain is entirely normal. He's he's not dumb, uh, but he's also not like this, you know, unrealistic, you know, quarrel. Like, oh, you can't fool him about any, anything because he'll pick because he can tell by the brick dust on your shoes that you were blah blah blah. Um so they're like having to take they like they have to worry about these things, but it's also like he's achievably deceivable. Um, but it's not a freebie. It's yeah. It's one of those things like I, you know, so like a daredevil is is a good lawyer because he cheats and he can hear and people are lying, right? So I, I wonder, you know, if 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 uh, like say if if Superman asks Lois, hey, what what are you talking to? You know, what are you working on that book about with Luther? Um, does you know, and, and her heart rate goes up. Does he know that she's lying, or does he just think that she's nervous? 
Like, I don't know, having never heard somebody lie because I could hear their blood, their blood rate increase and, you know, see their, their pupils expand or whatever. Since I haven't done that, I don't know what the difference is uh, audibly and visually between nervousness and actual lying. <laughs> yeah. That's also what, what I would think is like, yeah, he does have like more information to work with, but he's not, you know, psychic or, you know, super genius. He's a, a fairly above average intelligent, but, you know, normal within the normal range of, of human guy who's got, you know, like more advantages. So, so yeah, like, like my read would be that he could, he could tell that like, oh yeah, that made her a little more nervous because he can like, you know, hear heart rate that other people can't, but he doesn't have any sort of like magical, super genius Sherlock Holmes ability to interpret what that means. It's just like, hmm, I wonder what that means. And so, yeah, maybe he's, he had like better in, intuition about things just because he's got more information to work with, but, um, but it's not magic. Yeah. I think you're right. Being able to hear your heartbeat is magic, but other than that, there's no magic. Right. Yeah. That checks out. Um, I guess I'm trying to think of where else to go from here. They, they talk about that. And um, I, I, so I pulled this one quote about um, like this sort of now that Lois is able to, you know, for not for, because she writes it down, but like she's able to, she has the time to be able to write it down and communicate her concern uh, in more detail to Lex, uh, which she, I, th- she, I think she, she wrote this, I believe. Uh, uh, but what it says was uh, he can hear everything that's happening in the world and it's driving him to despair. I think he can shut down his hearing and tune it all out, but that's almost worse in a way because he still knows all of the pain and suffering that's happening and turning away from it doesn't make it disappear. He sounded like a martyr to me, forcing himself to bear witness, not just to the evils, but to the vast but simple indifference of the world. Yet that was very different from the picture that Lex had been forming. Superman spent time as Clark Kent, which implied a certain apathy towards suffering. What did Superman get from maintaining the Clark Kent persona? Um, yeah. I think that he, so Lex still, I think has it backwards. He thinks that, okay, this is some alien pretending to be a human. Yeah. Right. And granted that's what he is, but like it's, it's more psychologically, he's a person pretending to be a God. Yeah. Um, and like, and Lex still doesn't get it. Like Lex can't put his head in like a normal person's emotional headspace. Right. He's like, well, you know, uh, Clark Kent doesn't seem to take many pleasures from life. He doesn't drink or smoke and doesn't have any romantic relationships that he's aware of. He seemed, it seemed unbearably dull to Lex. Even in his work life, Clark Kent was only second best and he didn't seem to leverage the full force of his powers, even to like win at his job. Right. Um, I like to like, I like how in this story, like Lex is very reasonable about everything, but like we still get to see, he's still like a fundamentally defective person. Um, So he's like, so he works as like the villain because like there's something off about like he's definitely of all the characters together. He's the one that's just like most fundamentally off. Um, even though, so we get like all of the things he's thinking and in a way doing are, are reasonable. There's, it's still not like, he's not like the protagonist of this thing and he's still kind of a fucked up human being. Um, I mean, so, it, but, but we're not making him, you know, but he's not, you know, twirling his mustache. I think that's the, that's what makes him so compelling to me as a character. Like, you know, Henry Kramer and Willie Calhoun are like, they're, they're yeah. the, they're the mustache twirling cu- puppy kicking bad guys. Right. Yeah. Like Lex is like, I think you should really just watch Dawn of justice, uh, Batman versus Superman. And like, it's not a great movie, but Batman has exactly the same position that Lex does and does basically the exact same thing. Like, and, and because they're, you know, basically the same person, billionaires with lots of money and resources and brains, uh, 
it's it's a similar kind of vibe. If only they had asked Alexander to help write the script, that movie would have been awesome. Um, I like though that we're not because it would be very on the nose if we basically made Lex flawless. Um, oh yeah, and this just become like really preachy and cut and dry. Uh, but because he is kind of like a you know fucked up person that is fine with you know having people killed and making these you know cold calculating decisions about not just about people's lives but on behalf of the rest of the world because I'm Lex and I know better. Um, like, so it's making like, he, he's not this like, oh, here, and here is the moral of the story. Lex Luthor, you know, telling you, you know, reading the cliff notes to this story. Um, like it's like, he's still not, he's not the like correct place to land, um, in how to like interpret everything going on. Yeah. Yeah. I found myself nodding during that. Uh, and that, that is one difference is that in Dawn of Justice, it is actually a different take on Batman in that this Batman kills people, but he doesn't kill people to the end of, uh, like, or to serve the purpose of him getting information or power against Superman. So, like, he, he doesn't, you know, he wouldn't do something like the bombing campaign to, to figure out a, a Superman weakness. Um, but he uh, he does basically everything shy of that. So, super, or Batman is still more unambiguously good than Lex is. Because uh, the big thing, like, like Lex has zero self doubt. He can doubt his knowledge of the situation, but like he has no, you know, doubt of his. Like he's completely confident that if you know, if he had all the relevant information, he would always arrive at the correct decision. Oh, I think you might have a little god complex developing there, buddy. Oh, whoops, whoopsie. Like he has zero doubt about that. And he and he and Batman share that in common. Like Batman doesn't really revisit the, um, you know, what if I'm wrong about Superman thing here until this dramatically unsatisfying moment that is less bad than people think it is, but, or than it's commonly perceived it to be, but it's still not great. Um, I, I think that like, it's, it's a fun spot. Cause I mean, even Lex, you know, again, he's pulling numbers out of his butt earlier, but he's like, even if there's a one in a thousand chance that he's right, this is still the right, this is still the, the correct course of action. Like, even if there's a one in a thousand chance that Superman is going to go have a bad day and start killing people, this is still worth doing just because we need to be prepared for that one in a thousand eventuality. Right. Um, yeah, now, I think, like, now that the, departs the, from like, you know, like that decision versus like a normal person is like, you can even arrive at the same decision, but like the tone of the decision is, I think this is the thing I need to be doing. That's like the, the sympathizable version of, of doing those things. Like, Oh, you know what? I maybe even need to kill people and that's fucked up, but I think I need to do it. Like, that's not the, version that you get from Lex. He's like, well, this is the thing that needs to be done and I'm the one to do it because I'm the guardian of humanity. Um, yeah. And that's, what, and that's the sinister disconnect. Yeah. And it's, it's like what, what makes it more fun of a bad guy than Willie or like Kramer is that, uh, you know, they, they both probably really enjoy killing people or whatever, but when Lex kills them, it's, it's the, with the same dispassion that Quirrell has. It's like, I took no special pleasure in those people dying, but it was for the greater good. And it's like, oh damn, that's almost worse than you saying that I really love drinking their blood or whatever. Right. Like the, the fact that, it, that you, you don't even enjoy it. And it's like, just this, like, it, I mean, it, it's, it's like, uh, he, he says it with the same nonchalance of someone saying, yeah, you know, factory farming is wrong, but you know, it's the most I can afford right now is, is factory farmed meat. And it's like, th- that's the level of concern he has about killing people. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, and like in superheroes, so like the sort of the mustache twirling bad guy can serve its place in a story when you sort of keep like that portion of the story is more just like the morality play. And they're not even really a character so much as the concept of a, 
of badness is how that like that you can make you can make that work but like you can't you you can't invest a whole lot in the character if you're going to do that because like if you're going to make them sort of unambiguously evil you have to like keep that you know that brush very broad and not try to you know dig into it too much or it kind of falls apart so if we're going to do like if you're going to you know inhabit the head of that person then you have to you know make them like believable in this sense so, but we've still sort of like segregated like i don't think it's actually believable this sort of like robotic disconnect and like vaguely sociopath but not sadist like that's not i wouldn't actually believe this in actual reality but it works as like the story and we sort of like isolated it to just this little portion of his personality and then everything surrounding it is then a lot more believable and then that like gives us permission to like then go live in lex's head in the story but if you were just going to make him sort of like a well like we're not gonna be able to get into willie calhoun's head um other than like oh fuck superman like we if we try to get any more if we try to like you know flesh out the willie calhoun character anymore then you'd have to start you know inventing motives for the things he did beyond just like oh i'm evil and sadistic and you know i'm just a you know criminal i'm just a mob boss and that's what i do like right yeah, yeah like the things that you're gonna make unrealistic you kind of have to like draw a circle around them and know like to what extent you're allowed to engage them yeah if we were to like to you know say take a chapter and like dig into willie calhoun to make him some super sympathizable character it would have to be done flawlessly otherwise it would just be unfun and unbelievable and like that that is the that's the like on the nose what made black panther merely great and not perfect was for the first two-thirds of the movie the bad guy is this wonderfully fleshed out uh very sympathetic um but still you know the bad guy but very understandable you totally get where he's coming from and like borderline likable even though again bad guy etc and then in the third act they're like oh wait He's, he's, uh, we got to have him like, just, let's just have him go full, you know, shoot puppies. And like, I forget, how's it, was it just that he like flips over entirely, just like greed for power? I I mean, like uh, on its face, he, so like in the, you know, in the beginning, he's got all these great motivations and stuff and and a very sympathetic story behind it. And then he gets the Black Panther powers. And the first thing he does is is strangle an old lady and say, when I, when I tell you to do something, you do it. And it's like, oh, okay. He's not, he's not up until this point. It seemed like he was just trying to very understandably take back the mantle of what had been taken from him, et cetera. And like, try and make, try and guide Wakanda to a better future as he saw it. But no, the first thing he does is he starts strangling old ladies. And then he sends his minions on a kill everybody and their children mission. And yeah, so and it's, it's like, like flipped over to just, yeah, if if they'd left him, if they hadn't, if they hadn't gone full Voldemort with him, that movie would have been amazing. As it was, it was great, and I loved it. But I wish that that is like the one thing that kept it from being like maybe the best Marvel movie was that they just they totally tanked the villain and lost the whole last third of the movie. Um, but other- yeah, that's, yeah, now that you say that, like when you say full Voldemort, that's kind of that's what I had in the back of my head when I was saying that. Like the Voldemort from the books is not a character really he's just the like he's that position he just takes up that position of evil dude and we don't ever get any real explanation for the motives for what he does just because he's evil dude and as long as you like don't try to engage it or justify it or you know you don't even attempt to to make any of that believable then it's okay you're just like okay that's the that's the thing he is in the story is he's the he's the evil force that the heroes are opposing um and you just sort of like he's kind of just a placeholder and you can make like if you like commit to that's how you're going to do it you can make that work um, it's like, yeah, but it's when you try to have it both ways, when it kind of falls apart. Yeah. Yep. And it did. 
it, it's a bummer because Black Panther and people people actually le- levied that complaint against Thanos too. I think that Thanos didn't actually go full Voldemort at the end. Um, I think that like at the end of Endgame, his motivation is switched from killing half of the people to save the universe to killing everybody, but not with the like the mustache twirling, kill everybody. It was like, no, you know what? We'll kill everybody and then make a new universe full of, you know, full of life and people that are happy. Like he actually had a, an, a, a, an, an ambition that to him was, was positive. And that wasn't like purely wrath, which was what they turned uh Killmonger into. So yeah. although with the name like Killmonger, you know, he, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. tried on the label. Yeah. I'm surprised. <laughs> if, you, if you read the tin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, we get a cut to Smallville. Joseph and Loretta Green bought one of the two general stores, and they they move in. They're making themselves at home, and uh, it becomes clear right away that they are the the plants that Lex wanted there. Right? Yeah, reminded uh, me. I think I only ever watched like one. What's that show? It's like a it's a married couple and they're Russian moles, like deep cover. Can't remember what the hell it's called. I have no it's idea what like, you're talking about. It's a, it's a TV show. It's yeah, it's. Uh, they're actually Russian, but they like are perfectly imitating Americans. They're like a married couple and they're Russian spies. Uh, and I want to say it's set like in the sixties or something. It's, it was not good, but that's what this reminded me of. They're like deep cover moles. Yeah. What makes these moles extra fun is, and that's the thing that I just love about all of this is I don't get the impression that anybody, but Lex and uh, Mercy know that Clark Kent is Superman. So yeah. like they don't even know why they're there. Exactly. He sends people here and like, Hey, Send me back everything you can figure out about Smallville. I'm kind of maybe curious about uh, anyone, anyone there named Kent. And um, and then th- this was the other thing too. So uh, they get $5,000 a week deposited into a bank account. And I checked because I was curious. That's like $75,000. See, that see, that's actually, that's like not great. You need to, that's going to make them, you know, blow their cover because they're going to. Have a, it should be like I'm putting money over here in this account. You can't fucking touch it until you're done. I think that's the plan. That's it. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's not more like oh, I'm just trusting them to be professional enough not to touch it. Like yeah, that is that's a lot of money. People would be like, uh, why am I having to put up with this like leaky faucet? No, I think that it, like it says that it was in a Kansas City bank account for them. Uh, waiting for them. Wait for right. each of them. Right. So that's that's Jeez. 150k a week that Lex is dumping into this account. Um, nice. And then courtesy of a trust that had been set up to uh, Joseph's fictitious uncle. So everyone's got insanely rich uncles, apparently, in, in 1930. Um, I, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, you know. Probably it, really, like, honestly, back then, it would pre- you probably didn't need to work nearly this hard to cover your tracks just because, like, this is an era where you could just, like, skip town and, like, take on a new identity and live somewhere else and, like, completely get away with it. It was definitely that way before Superman showed up, right? Um, yeah, I mean no no video footage basically no cameras and yeah, you no, just show no up DNA. in some new town and give a you know fake name and like you're done yeah in fact that's, that's what that's what they both do here <laughs> um and then there's the uh um oh what was i going to say something about the money uh oh i was just thinking like so i'm not sure how long they're supposed to be here lex was thinking that this might take months and so they're each getting 75k a week and so i'm thinking like all right 300k a month how much money would I need to drop my identity and go hide in a, in a, you know, nowhere, Kansas and just, you know, write a letter once a week or something. It's, uh, it's a lot less than 300 K. I think so. Or 100, uh, 100, yeah. 300, yeah. 150 each. So uh, 150, no, 300K each, each month. Cause it's 70, well, no, 5,000 5, a week. Yeah. So 20,000. Um, yeah. 5,000 is 75. Oh yeah. 300 each. Yeah. 
They're, they're both going to be millionaires by the time this shit's up, right? Yeah. So for the six, I think he's thinking like uh, three or four months. So yeah, he's spending like two, three million <laughs> dollars for this subterfuge. That's insane. I love it so much. Um, I think it's almost like kind of actually dangerous to like, it's like just unwise to be spending that much money because you can like stirring the pot too much. Like he's overpaying, I think. I think so too. Cause it would be more believable if it was a thousand dollars a week. Yeah, thousand dollars, right? you know, 15 grand a week is still like a shit ton of money, but it's like going to be less noticeable. Totally. Mm. Um, oh, so anyway, what they're, what they're here doing they're they got the store and then there's this fun little bit. I love, this is more of just like that, uh, Mad-Eye Moody slash, uh, um, Mark Watney level, like paranoia slash planning where, uh, so they, they'll write a letter, you know, off to, I don't know where the letters go. I can't remember. Um, and then once in a while they'd get a letter back. Oh, the letters go to Gotham. And so then they've got like one of those player pianos and it happens to break whenever they get a letter. And so then they, they take out the music sheet so they can get in there and repair it. And then they put the sheet on the letter they got. And then where that lines up has the coded message for them. And those, the those few minutes, key. yeah, those, those few minutes are the only time that a careful observer might notice something weird was going on. Um, I, I just think that's awesome. Oh, wait, no, not minutes. Seconds is when they lay that thing over the thing, right? Yeah. And I mean, that could be done so casually. They've got the, they get the letter. Oh, look at that. You know, our, our, whoever wrote us back and um, how that, common back that's, then. that stinking piano. And then they go to, and they just set the letter on the table. They set the piece of paper on the table and nobody spends a lot of close time, like leaning over it and writing things down. It's all of it. Yeah, I, wonder, I wonder how common back then this sort of level of paying attention to kind of encryption stuff was actually around. Cause like, even like all the, the, like the Alan Turing codebreaker stuff wasn't until wasn't, you know, 10 or 15 years after this. Um, I wonder how much that was like on even like the smart people's brain. I mean, you got to think that like a one-time pad is basically uncrackable, right? Yeah. So it's before, like it's the only uncrackable thing. Yeah. And it's basically uncrackable now. Um, So, I mean, that would, that would have been sufficient back then. I think that again, all the extra levels. To what extent would this have, you know, been on anybody's mind? So yeah, no, yeah. Cause he doesn't like, there's nothing here that needed to really be invented um, in order to do it. But it's just wondering like, cause he did the same thing. I think like his, like, Oh, I've got, the you know i've got two different people that are going to deliver the message to the police you know one one's got the the encoded message and the other one's got the key to it um i was just wondering like to what extent would this actually have been on anybody's mind i'm guessing that it probably that this level of subterfuge probably wasn't even on lex's mind a year ago right no not 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 like the commitment to subterfuge but the like specifically this like uh, oh, this level of cryptography. Yeah. Okay. Because and this is very like simple kind of cryptography, but I'm not even sure like to what extent this was a thing that occurred to people to do. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't really like detract from the story or anything. It's just idly wondering. And if Lex had to invent cryptography to get around Superman, well, you know, it sounds like the kind of thing he would do. <laughs> All right. So um, then they we cut from that to uh, Herschel Whitman, and uh, that's the governor. He's sitting on his on his patio uh, getting wasted because everything sucks and Superman just lands on his yard and starts walking towards him. Uh, that had a very like Christopher Reeves. I know, Superman right? Thing of, like he's like floating in with his fluttering cape and lands on one foot and then starts walking. And so I, I like this a lot. Uh, I'll let you summarize if you want where uh, he shows up. Um, although. Well, yeah, basically, I mean, yeah, like, so um, 
yeah, the government's just like sitting there, like just kind of pissed at the world. I think, was he just sort of like shouting at the sky at Superman? It, it says uh, that uh, he had done that a few times, but it wasn't this night. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so like Superman comes up to, uh, this, so Superman has come to uh, tell, so he, um, to tell the governor that like, oh, people have, been, have named Calhoun. Um, so we know it's him, but we can't prove it. Um, and so I want your daughter, if your daughter knows anything, I want her to testify. Um, and Calhoun's basically like, you know, fuck you and fuck this noise. Um, why don't you, you know, just go fucking kill the guy. And it's sort of a little bit of like, I'm the governor and entitled to like order around Superman. Uh, but also like a very sympathetic, like, you know, why would this guy, you know, be on board with any of this, you know, um, academically sound bullshit, ethical decisions. He's like, no, fuck it. But like this guy just ruined my world, kill him. Um, Superman, like, and Superman gives a very like pat, like if we don't have the rule of law, we don't have anything. Uh, and so it all comes across as very like, you know, in that, not in that, but like kind of impotent that like, like his answers, his answers are very pat and, and unsatisfying. Um, and what was I going to say after that? But, um, and that's kind of where it, um, there, sorry. I'm there's one awesome note in this and it's near the end where, you know, like so the governor, like you said, he's kind of ripping into him. And Superman's giving these these nice answers about, well, he needs to be brought to justice. And, um, you know, we need the rule of law, et cetera. And Herschel's like, fine, you know, if June agrees, if she agrees to talk and, you know, because oh. he, he doesn't want to subject her to cross-examination, but he's like, if she wants to and she understands it, then sure. But look, man, you got to tell me if the jury listens to her and then they say he's not guilty, you'll just let him go? No. I know. No? No. And no. I know it's like, it's both like, oh, cool. Superman's not just being idealistic, but there's like, uh, like it, it's, it works especially well. Cause we get no, that doesn't get resolved. That's just like left hanging in the air. Um, and it's so like on the one hand, like, okay, good. He's not just being this kind of like wonder bread immorality around it. But then the other side of it is like, well, what the fuck does he mean by that? Like what, what is he going to do then? And, and just like all of the implications for that. It's like, oh, okay, this is the first hint that Superman's willing to go off the ranch. Um, and sort of, we've been kind of wanting that, but now that it's, you know, now that the dog has caught that mail truck, um, you know, where's this going to be like this, this is going to get weird. Um, and it's sort of, and it like works also like this sort of came across in that same tone of this is a dude trying to do the best he can, but he's cracking. Um, and so he's sort of like a hint that like, Oh, he's going to be willing to give in to vengeance. Um, so yeah, the whole thing was like, and, and I like to, because it was just like the one word, no repeated, um, like how much that like brought into the story all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's, it, it, like you said, kind of plays that, that it's fun and terrifying at the same time. Cause it's like, Oh great. He's not going to just like sit back and let the, you know, let the judge and jury make the wrong decision. But then it's like, Oh shit. He's not going to sit back and let the judge and jury make the decision. Yeah. Um, that, you know, he'll, he'll comply if they make the correct decision. And like, there's not even any ambiguity here. Like there might be with some of Lex's reasoning where it's like, well, you know, Superman sure of himself, yada, yada. It's like, no, he's there. That's, that's not even a factor here. It's just the fact that he's, he's tacitly committing to saying, yeah, fuck the law. Yeah. And we don't know what it is he's saying. And so it's like very vague. Is he just talking about, you know, maybe a little bit of, you know, we, we don't know. Like, yeah. Like, is he saying that like, oh yeah, I'll just have the guy killed or like, we don't know what he means. Yep. Which is kind of like, that's sort of like the nature of the whole thread is like, you don't know what the dude will do once he decides he's the one that gets to decide what he's going to do. 
pretty intense. All right, we cut back to Lex, who determines that Clark Kent was probably definitely a real person because uh, he's got you know people there who know him. He's kind of a celebrity because he left and went to the big city, and yeah, we know, to, we're just kind of getting to see like Lex is digesting the information he's gotten from his spies and this bit about the orphan trains. Yeah, because then that's like all historically accurate. That's just, yeah, that's weird. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I, and briefly, the orphan trains apparently. Well, we've got an abundance of kids on the East Coast and and an underabundance of workers in the in the Midwest. Well, the the amicable solution to solve this problem is to send these these orphans to the Midwest via train, let them get inspected and see if they want to work in the mines or get adopted or whatever. Um, that's what I was just talking, like literally yesterday, talking with my siblings about it. My um, my brother done a bunch of like i had my we, we just got back to find out i'm like way less irish than our whole family likes to tell ourselves we are um but that my part of what confused the whole thing is my grandfather was adopted and he was part of it wasn't quite the same thing but it looks like uh, as we've been able to find out a little more so my uh, biological great-grandmother apparently um came from like i think nebraska actually um but went from uh came out from nebraska to los angeles uh, because she had, because this is like nineteen, like the nineteen teens, um, to because she had an out of wedlock pregnancy, so she went out to Los Angeles to have the kid and then leave, um, which I, apparently was something that was like done, like you would go to some other city to have the kid, so that nobody, like you, you would leave before you were pregnant enough that people could tell. Um, you'd have the kid. Uh, put the kid up for adoption and then go back home. And apparently what we've just been finding out is like genetics has uncovered uh, more distant uh, related only by blood relatives um, that some other, like, like some other relative of my biological great grandmother did exactly the same thing um, out to Los Angeles as well. So apparently there's some like very distant biological cousins of mine out in California based on the second go put your kid up adoption for adoption in Los Angeles trip. That's wild. <laughs> I know. Isn't that weird? It's crazy. Um, yeah, but then it sort of like, like throws these like wild cards in your like genetic history because it's like, oh, there's like, we've got like all of this German in our background that like there's no like cultural German in any of our background. But like, oh no, my grandfather was like full blooded. So I'm 25% German. Zuber is a German name, but my dad was adopted. Our family name would have been Gilmore. And all I know is that the Gilmores have been here at least since before the Civil War. Um, I see. I know like, that you're opposite. My, you're like English adopted by Germans and German adopted by English. Well, then on my grandma's side, the Renickers were also German, and so I again, I I don't know where any of that comes from. All I know is that I, I guess I'm not even sure what kind of name is Gilmore. I guess just plain old English. Sounds, sounds English. Yeah. All I know is that Major Gilmore lost a thumb fighting for the North in the Civil War, and he that wasn't that wasn't his position. That was his name, Major. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I saw his I saw his tombstone. Major Private Gilmore. Major. Yeah. <laughs> Private Major. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what his what his rank was, but I just like that his name was Major Gilmore. Um, wait a minute. Isn't that uh, Joe Biden's dog's name? Uh, so it's Ch- I was just reading Champ. And it, may, it may be Major. I know the one it was Champ and yeah, it might be Major. Might be Major. I'll just double check. It, it feels like that's right. Well, anyway, I know that he's the, the first uh, yeah. sh- shelter pet, first dog. <laughs> and he's, he's the bestest boy, I'm sure. Also, I learned this watching uh, The Weakest Link last week, or the week before. Barack Obama's dog, Bo, that's that's Barack Obama's initials. <laughs> and I, I guess that was on purpose. <laughs> that, it had never occurred to me until that was one of the questions. 
All right. So <laughs> that's your, that's your end of your trivia section for this. Um, so Le- all this leaves is where Lex is like, okay, so clearly Clark Kent was a child and he grew up in Kansas, but like, this doesn't, this doesn't clear up anything. You know, did he get powers from, you know, some, you know, is he an alien that, that grew up there? Is he a regular human that had science done to him? You know, what happened here? So you said, you just said like there were stories of weird, unexplained stuff, you know, stories consistent with, Oh, you know, Superboy lives here, but is, you know, in hiding. Um, right. Just strange, unexplained phenomenon. Yeah. There's one time a bus was going underwater and somehow it got, you know, up above the surface long enough for all the kids to climb out or something. Right. Um, I'm making that, I'm assuming that's it. Cause I think that was what happened in man of steel, but uh, anyway, we cut back and we get Floyd Lawton and I think creepy little character. I think Floyd Lawton is Deadshot, the DC supervillain. Oh, really? Like that's the character's name? I'm not sure if that's oh, yeah, his name or not. Guns, yeah. But yeah, well, he says something about how he earned the nickname Deadshot by killing 12 people or 13 people with 12 bullets. Mm-hmm. And Deadshot <laughs> was uh, Will Smith's character in Suicide Squad, right? Yeah. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Was that? I mean, how, I mean, how, many people can, how many people can there be with like their superpower being they're really good at shooting things? Sounds right. You get one per universe. You get uh, Bullseye in, D- in Marvel and you get Deadshot in DC. I'm calling it now. Uh, the same wait, killers. there's Hawkeye. But Hawkeye is different. He shoots things with, with bows and arrows. Bows and so. Saint of Killers from Preacher. Hmm. Shit. Although it wasn't really so much him as the gun. The gun like could not miss and whatever it shot uh, would die. It was, like, you know, it was like the cosmic absolute. Those two rules cannot be broken. If he shoots at you, he will hit you. And if he hits you, you will die. And that applies even if you're God. So can I shoot you from here if I had that gun? I, guess that's, uh, I think that's the rule. Like, and it, like how it starts out is like, okay, by the way, spoilers for Preacher. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that's it. like he gets it. Like that's the deal he makes with the devil. And like he gets the gun and then uh, like the devil, like foolishly, uh, didn't realize what he had just done. That he'd created some sort of like cosmic absolute. So then the same killers uh, kills the devil with it first off and then walks out of hell. That's baller as fuck. No, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's cool. Here, kind of here's work. an unstoppable super weapon, and uh, there you go. Have fun. Oh well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna un- I'm gonna use my unstoppable super weapon against you. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, like, because you live like 40 miles away, if I could just shoot through my roof and the bullet would find and kill you. Yeah, I didn't really play it out. Play that out so much because, uh, well, see, that was the thing. It was only ever shot by you know the saint. So, and he only ever shoot. He was sort of like of one purpose. I'd be the psychopath yeah, doing just a couple tests from my house. Just, just to figure it out. Yeah. Be like, I, don't recall, I don't recall if they ever played out like what happened to him. I can't remember. Now. Maybe they did. Like he kills God in the end. I'm not sure like where he goes after that or what happens to the gun. Sounds tight. It's not, it's not, it's not, not really that kind of story. Yeah. I, I saw the first season of Preacher. Uh, that was really good. I, I was impressed with that because that would be that was such a hard story to try to read. Like as you're reading, you're like, "How the fuck could you turn this into a TV show?" Uh, and they did like like did a good job of like not trying to like the point of the comic book was to be uh, not offending for the sake of being offensive, but being incredibly incredibly offensive for the sake of demonstrating how offensive the world is. Um, I like and they had to like walk. Yeah, they had to walk away from that for the TV show to some extent, the TV show is as offensive as it could be, was not nearly as offensive as the comic book. Yeah. All right. So I've got, uh, we got a little left here. So Floyd shows up and he's pretending to be a drifter looking just for some hired hand work and shows up at Martha Kent's farm. And it turns out that she used to have an assist or a, a farm hand, but he got discovered by Hollywood and left because what a coincidence. I, I just, 
<laughs> I'm sure that, you know what? There's no way Lex isn't actually finishing that movie too, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> she's nothing if not thorough. <laughs> um, there, there's a throwaway line. <laughs> he, went by, and bought, he went out and bought a studio. Of course. <laughs> just so they would make a movie and told them who needed to be in it. So there, there's a throwaway line in here that I like because it jumps out at me like a like a sore thumb every time where so Martha goes and she's just rambling she's got like the longest paragraph in this section because she just apparently that's her thing she talks a lot but um oh yeah you know I just had to live in farmhand uh Elias Clayton you know he was strong and able and uh then you know don't don't cut this quote out but he says uh but he was a black so work didn't come too easy and like (laughs) So the reason I like that quote is because it shows that Superman grew up in a not perfect society slash subculture. And yet, as far as we know, Superman isn't, didn't grow up to be racist, right? Like he speaks English, but whatever. Um, Like he, he he overcame the casual racism of his family. Well, no, I was like, I, uh, I read it as, so my read of her saying that, well, there were a couple of things, but it was that, uh, it was acknowledging just like the ambient racism of the time and that while that was still somewhat a somewhat racist way to kind of frame it and think about it, that I read it as, you know, not meeting the standards of what's okay of racism today, but that she was uh, less racist than would be expected of her in that society, in that role. Um, so that it was a, like, oh, we are like, it was sort of like a signal of sort of like their their benevolence as people that they were at least ahead of the curve on what random old person in Kansas in 1930 something is going to be wildly racist. And she's less so than that. Uh, Cause it was, it was even like all of it was like, cause she was a person that like, you know, had a, you know, long-term employee that she liked that was black and that was not a a problem for her, for her, which I think, you know, would have been in, in other situations. The other part that made that stick out for me, which is then like, that's, as sort of a, you know, acknowledging of the, the racism at the time was that, that made the fact that he got like discovered in Hollywood seem less plausible. Mm-hmm. And so, and more indicative that it was just some kind of manipulation from, from Lex Luthor, because at that, that time for, you know, a, you know, still, it was easier back then, but still like not a thing. People didn't just get randomly discovered. And then, um, it would be even like less likely for a black man in the middle of Kansas to get discovered. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I, I like that framing too, that it didn't, I, I guess, you know, if I, I knew those two pieces of knowledge, but they hadn't been put together. Like, of course, you know, society was wildly racist in the thirties and Smallville, Kansas would have been in the you know 1910s. Right. Cause it's yeah. 20 years um, everywhere else. And so the fact that, you know, she had, you know, a, a a teaspoon of racism rather than a, you know, two cups, you know, um, maybe, maybe that's it is like, yes, that he didn't come from this idealized, you know, future society where people were more, more equitable, but he came from a progressive family. Um, I read that, that line about like, Oh, and work doesn't come easy to them. I read that as being like, Oh, it's hard for a black man to find work. Not that that wasn't like, Oh, black people are lazy. It was that. Oh yeah. That, no, is that like, Oh, and that like, Oh, it's hard. Um, yeah, so the, like the part of why she was surprised that um, that it, that it would happen was like, oh, you know, it's not like work is you know being thrown at the feet of black people. Okay, yeah, you know what? That actually makes more sense with the rest of the sentence because she says, especially not the kind of work he was keen on doing, which was acting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, that's okay. I read it the other way at first that you know she was saying that you know he was lazy, but no, she was just saying that you know yeah he didn't get offers for jobs. 
because uh, yeah. people suck. Oh man. Okay, great. You know what? High five, Martha Ken. I read that. I'm sorry, I misread that. <laughs> All right. So I yeah, that's, and that seemed to me like that was put there on purpose as as like a an indication of of her being less racist than the typical 1920 something. Yeah. No, no. I, I'm glad I brought that point up. I feel much. I I didn't I didn't feel bad about it. I, I felt like it worked great in the story, but I was like, oh yeah, it looks like Martha sucks, um, or at least has a part of her character that sucks. But no, it, I think that yeah, I think your read on it is more accurate. I uh, like again, it didn't detract from my enjoy, enjoyment of the story whatsoever. If anything, it just added to like the realism, and I liked the fact that Superman, you know, overcame this this sort of background. But and it looks like yeah, you know, I mean, granted. His family was, you know, there's probably still some bit of that because they grew up in the 30s in Kansas, but it's well, like- and it still has that, like, it still has just the, like, the people involved aren't being racist, but the whole situation is racist of the, like, oh, I've got this, like, long term employee who, you know, I'm able to, like, boss him around and pay him not very much because, you know, he's a black man in Kansas in the 1920s. And, right. Um, like, yeah. And like, I guess that, that guy yeah, wouldn't have been a white dude. Yeah. The other, the other screaming red flag of just a, a teaspoon of racism is that she said he was a black. A black, yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, all right. You, you don't get, you get. Yeah, that's uh, like the only way you could. And yeah. Actually, like probably more realistic would have been she would have used the word colored, but like that, like we wouldn't be able to read that today, like and not have that set off all kinds of. Well, and actually, we, and it we probably, just it read about been, June getting raped, so I don't think that it wouldn't, been, it wouldn't have been at all out of character for all of that same like her like same emotional vibe to it and even her same like attitude and she might have used the n word without any malice behind it just because that's the word everybody uses right um just because like that's the racism of the day yeah well in any case i liked the world building there and i, I appreciate the 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 new perspective on it to make me like martha kent a little more so <laughs> um all right so Basically, he's like, oh, you know, and I, I love the voice actor for this guy too. You know, hat in hand, looking down. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. pardon me, ma'am. I'm just looking for some work. If you need anything that needs doing, I, I'm just a drifter. And oh well, and wouldn't you know so it? Like, yeah, sinister and insincere. It's like creepy. Then he's got his. Uh, he brings in his pistols, and she's like, oh, you know, hey, we got a shotgun. If anyone needs to steal stuff, just let him take it. You know, we'll shoot the wolves or whatever. It's like, well, the, the guns are my father's and, you know, please, I, I just don't, I'm glad I don't have to sell them. And she's like, well, you know, just don't shoot people with them. Yes, ma'am. And so um, I like, oh, yeah, this is where he gets the nickname Deadshot. I'll look and see later if uh, Floyd Lawton was was uh, Deadshot's name. Kind of um, bad, especially if you use the word Deadshot. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, uh, basically, he works at Martha's house, right? They settled into routine. Um, she goes to church every Sunday and she's uh super chatty um and then he's like oh why is there a lock on the storm cellar oh kept blowing open don't don't look at it <laughs> well what do you mean I I know, I like, yeah especially and then he finds that it's like not just locked but it's like welded shut um what i thought was interesting about that 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 seemed like like she was playing dumb but like she's probably lying to him and she's not like innocently like just thinking oh there's nothing down there and i don't think about it very much is like she knows there's something down there and she's like as sweetness and light as she's coming across everywhere else, like, Oh, she's probably lying to him right there. And, but sticking with the sweetness and light voice. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm not a, a welder or a metallurgist, but I could tell something is welded shut or, or rusted shut. And there's no way she doesn't know that working on a farm. So yeah, it's rusted shut. And he goes and look and it's like perfectly welded shut. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, calling bullshit on this. And then I love this too. Um, 
So far as he could guess, whatever was down there was the, his entire reason for being on the Kent farm. He made sure to mention the storm cellar in his letters to his fictitious sister, cloaking the information in long paragraphs about how afraid he was of tornadoes. <laughs> Hopefully his employer was smart enough to read between the lines. And that's it. That's chapter eight. And now we're at this fun spot where do we get two weeks of two shortest chapters or do I try and cram it together weirdly? And honestly, shortish. because I also want to drag the show out for one more week, I think it makes more sense for shortest chapters. So um, we are doing chapters nine and 10 next week. And big shout out to, uh, he changed his name on the Bayesian Conspiracy Discord, but it used to be Koi. And it, now it's, I'm assuming, Japanese characters. So sorry, I'm not pronouncing your current username right. But uh, I, I don't know if, I, I think I put it in the show notes. And if I didn't, I suck. But um, Koi put together a, an RSS feed for this show as well. Um, like he did for, for We Want More, where uh, you can use this and it'll download the relevant audiobook chapters and the uh, um, uh, the R chapters for this, right? So um, do check those out. And I'm checking to see if I put them in the show notes. I don't think I did. Damn, cool. I'm sorry. So don't we fall. are doing nine and 10 or are we just doing nine? Nine and 10. Okay. They're, so they're two short chapters. It'll be less, less stuff, less reading than this week, but definitely uh, enough to talk about, I think. And so yeah, we're doing two chapters next week, but um, yeah, I'll put the link for uh, for the RSS feeds in the description for this episode and previous ones. So I'll go back and add those. Um, and if you're otherwise inclined, they're on the Bayesian Conspiracy Discord on the spoiler free channel for this. Uh, if you click the pins, um, there's one more thing I was going to mention, and I can't think of it. So that's that. There you go. Uh, any other final thoughts or anything to add? Uh, no, I like that we're, I, I like, we've got lots of balls in the air, so I like where it's going. Like, oh, what's going on? Lots of stuff. S- Superman's turning. What's that going to turn into? What the fuck is going on in Smallville? That probably means Superman's going to head over to Smallville to bust some heads. So, yes. I've got to ask you to wildly speculate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking somebody's going to get killed. Superman's going to get over there. Uh, Martha will not be killed. Martha. So if I'm just going to like make some super arbitrary uh, uh, prediction, something happens to threaten Martha and you do not fuck with Wonder Bread's mom. Uh, and that's going to make <laughs> him semi snap and, and cross a line. That's my right on. prediction. There was a, there was, that was also in the man of steel movie. I think I talked about that last week. He like he sets Lois down and they're talking and then he quirks his head and just flies away at full speed because uh, Zod was attacking the farm. And it was one of like the coolest like Superman moments in the movie that I liked. Um, all right. Yeah. Don't fuck with Martha, which is also the met the, the moral of uh, Donna justice. Really, <laughs> you know, you just don't fuck with a superhero's mom. Yes. Yeah, uh, pissed off Tony in Captain America civil war. Um it's uh, it's it's just not it's Tony's in, mom. in the great in the wise words of the great 21st century philosopher Tony Stark. Not a great plan. <laughs> All right. Good. I got to laugh. I can call it an episode. All right. We'll see you back here next week, everybody. Bye, buddy. Bye, buddy.